1: the Collective City of Philadelphia or Tahoma 31 Grass? Oof. That's the question that's, that's being asked into this afternoon. Fan Midday Show post-Super Bowl Sunday on a day that I think a lot of people think should be a holiday. But we're hanging with you 12 to 3. Brendan King, our good pal Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. You see his work as well on 1075thefan.com. From the Indiana Pacers, Eddie Garrison's on the ones and twos. Welcome in drivehubler.com studio. Fox Sports last night, Super Bowl. Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson. T- I still think it's weird to see Tom Rinaldi honestly, on the sidelines with Fox Sports. That's a little bit different. Aaron Andrews collectively thought they did a great job. It was a little different with no Joe Buck and Troy Aikman from Fox. But as you said, Scotty, before the show started, Kevin Burkhart's a stud.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the big question marks, especially maybe more so for those of us in sports media is wondering what this looks like, because it had a chance to be troubling, a disaster, right? This new crew coming in together and having the biggest moment with 100 plus million fans watching. And they crushed it. I think Kevin Burkhart was fantastic. I thought Greg Olson did great as well. There was that situation where we saw the Chiefs on back-to-back scores essentially run the same play with motion, getting the defense a little bit confused, and ending up with a pass that any of us could throw uh, (laughs) that Patty Mahomes made there. And I I thought Greg Olson did a great job of answering a question we all had is why was it so successful? Why was it working? So, uh, yeah, hats off to that entire crew. And you mentioned Tom Rinaldi that's one of the main reasons you switch to a network like that too by the way is you get a featured assignment one that everyone dreams about 38 35 chiefs beat the eagles shout
1: out jimmy cook you'll see you'll hear him on this show a little bit later this week we do not know if jimmy is awake and or even coherent right now but (laughs) I'm, i'm sure i'm sure jimmy had a had a good time last night patrick mahomes Three touchdown passes. If any, I think it's over/under for passing yards was like 297. He missed that by 100 plus. But if somebody had like a Jalen Hurts to score three plus
2: TDs, they had a pretty good night. That was one area, Brennan where it went opposite of what I was expecting. Yeah. I wasn't sure Jalen Hurts would get to 200. That they would try to get the lead. That they would try to run. That had been what had worked for them all season long, and it turned out to be quite the opposite. And Mahomes under 200 yards, which. I would not have expected, especially if they had any chance to win. Hmm.
1: Super Bowl Fifty Seven comes to an end. Scott, give me your general thoughts about
2: the game. Yeah, so my first take in all this is that field. I don't think that's getting enough <laughs> to, coverage in all home that. Of
1: Thirty-one,
2: unbelievable. We were talking about it a little bit earlier, and I there was that conversation throughout Twitter. Is this is the biggest game of of the year? And that failed. The field failed them. I look up at the TV and right away they're they're showing the field goal. And early on in that game, think about those three points that swung because the Chiefs missed that and it came right on the paint. I I haven't seen comments from the kicker post game, but I absolutely believe that was a factor because his plant leg kind of, he lost his footing. It slid out. And then again, credit to the Fox TV report at halftime, I think it was Rinaldi again who referenced how the Eagles changed their spikes in their shoes that this was an issue for them and the Chiefs had an issue with it previously. So they came in and was prepared for it. That was my my number one feel. Um, I was very surprised, Brendan, too. Chiefs won the toss and declined. Yeah. That, That... Tails never fails. That by the totally, way. Th- yeah. Except for the last couple of years, <laughs> 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 that totally threw me off because I'm sitting there, and how much uh, of us grew up with Peyton? We won the toss. We want the ball, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll put the defense on their heels the rest of the game. So that one, I thought was a little bit questionable. Now. Andy Reid and them, of course, know exactly what they're doing. But otherwise, that first half kind of played out like I was expecting. A slower start for the Chiefs. They're a second-half team, and my goodness, they proved that to be the, the case as well coming up in that second half. and Little questionable calls. I don't go to that last penalty. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well. The, the general thought is, yeah, it's probably a penalty, but do you call it in that moment? That's the general thought I've, I've heard. And I'm I'm all about as long as you've been calling it, be consistent. I don't think you should change what you have been calling all throughout the game because then, as a defender or even an offensive player, how do you know what to expect? The rules are the rules. The player came out and said, "I held. Yeah, that's my bad. I hope I didn't get caught." I don't blame him for 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 trying it because you never know when the you know the linesman's not going to see it. You might get it slip it through, and it might have saved you that touchdown. In turn, you get called for it. It was costly anyway. I don't have a problem with it. Do you?
1: I didn't have a problem with it, even though maybe most people watching across the country would have liked to let the boys play, quote unquote. But look, when you get in that type of high pressure situation, you can't expect to get bailed out by the refs. If you do, that's a loser's mentality. For sure. Right. And even more so, the Eagles defense was what was supposed to contain Patrick Mahomes, all game that's what we read about leading up to it you can't let them march down the field like that there were Scott three four times last night I found this on the web Siri says what's up there were three four times (laughs) last night where we were at our Super Bowl party with my friend group and you know Patrick Mahomes is suddenly at the Eagles 30 yard line it's like how in the hell did that happen so fast you know they, they let Mahomes control a lot of those drives Maybe on one leg at times. Whatever, by the way, shout out to the Chiefs athletic training staff because Mahomes looked like AFC championship Mahomes at the end of that first half. And then whatever they threw in that ankle, right? that, that was like Michael's special stuff from from Space Jam.
2: He had uh, that 26-yard run at the end that yeah. was kind of the dagger, if you yeah. will, it felt like.
1: Yeah, so the the Eagles let that drive happen. And you can't expect to get bailed out by the refs when you are not performing to what was supposed to be the game-changing effect, and that's your defense.
2: And we just didn't see him get stops at the end. Yeah. And how big – you don't talk about special teams enough only until when it's costly, right? And we saw that huge return by Tony to set things up in that second half. We saw the missed field goal early on. I thought that, that was a critical situation there that helped ch- turn the tide a little bit there very much late in the game. And then on top of that – To go back to my opening thoughts about this whole thing, Jalen Hurts, I thought he rose to the moment. I thought he stepped up and played really, really well. Yes, he had that one hugely costly mistake, fumbling the ball, Mm. setting up the scoop and score, and there was another one, but it got called back, and I think probably rightly so, but that's where I, I also generally believe officiating evens out, right? Because, you know, you had that late penalty, but you also had this scoop and score taken away. But that special teams play and Tony, you just go back to this game and and then you try to bring it back local. And what do these teams have? The Colts are lacking weapons, Mm. just guys that can just change the game. And so for me, I sit there and think one of the biggest things beyond quarterback, that's beyond obvious. The Colts need that game changing tight end. They need that safety valve is what that's become. When Tom Brady needed a, a first down, he went to Gronk. When Mahomes needs the biggest play, and it wasn't just this game, it's been previous ones all season long, he goes across the middle where for unknown reasons Kelsey is open. And so that's that's a atop my, atop my radar if I'm over there at West 56th Street. You need that game-changing tight end.
1: I was about to bring it up. First of all, I was surprised when Kevin Burkhart said there's never been a punt return in Super Bowl history. That was a
2: that was a bit surprising, and even better though. On top of that, is he had a story to go with it. Yes, how he had talked no. with him, and Tony told him, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is gonna be the one." And so that set up a great story that he almost was able to convert if he got like what seven more yards, I think. You're
1: a play-by-play guy, at IUPY All of us in here have done play-by-play at, at some point. Uh, that that is masterful stuff from Kevin Burkhardt. But Scott Agnes, you did bring up. The Indianapolis Colts from Adam Schefter this morning, quote, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen is scheduled to fly to Indianapolis this afternoon when he is expected to finalize his deal to become the Colts' next head coach. You just mentioned the Colts need that game-changing tight end, game-changing wide receiver. Shane Steichen sounds good to me if that's what Ursay and Ballard feel comfortable with, hiring another Eagles offensive coordinator away from the Mm -hmm. staff of the guy that left you to become the coach of this Eagles team. I will say, though, Shane Steichen, you can hire him. And this is something that Mike Chappell has said a lot on this show. You can hire Shane Steichen, but he's not bringing Jalen Hurts with him. He's not bringing A.J. Brown with him. He's not bringing Dallas Goddard with him. By the way, Dallas Goddard was terrific last night. Average 10 yards a catch. Further my point. Again,
2: you see the value of those those tight ends.
1: Yeah. So, Shane Steichen, great. If he's an awesome play caller, even better. He's not bringing those game-changing players with him, and now it's on the front office staff to get
2: Shane Steichen these studs. Completely agree. And you're seeing, I think, with this move, what this represents to me is you see the level of offense that it takes to succeed right now. And I love the level of creativity throughout much of the league, not all, but especially with those two teams that we saw last night. What what was the score? 38-35? Yeah. The Colts averaged 17 points per game this season. Hmm. There were numerous times if they could have gotten to 25, I think they would have won five more games. They were offensive deficient. They just were not productive. That starts at the quarterback. That starts at having more weapons. And that starts with some creativity. And so... This goes down that route for me. Now, I I will say and I I look at this from what I have experienced and it's more from the Pacer side. They tried Nate Bjorken. That was what this is if yeah, you will. Yeah. Guy Young who's stud. never he's never done it. Young stud, people saying good things about him. Very creative offensively. Gonna try a lot of new things and and tap into new portals to try to create some offensive productivity, but he hasn't been there. That's why I thought they after the challenges they've faced with the last couple of coaches, I thought they would go more of a Raheem Morris, a guy who has been there, now has more assistant experience under his belt, and would kind of be that leader of men that Jim Irsay has been hinting about so often.
1: I thought if they went the Raheem Morris route, Byron Leftwich is out there. Like, the guy won a Super Bowl in Tampa.
2: But why is he out there?
1: Because they failed this year with the GOAT. But I will say the guy's got a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator. I think their best move was to go defensive and then bring on a older offensive coordinator, more experienced offensive coordinator that is, like Leftwich. But again, if Shane Steichen's your guy, I'm good with it. Were you in the camp when this all started that you wanted young offensive mind?
2: I I was because that's everything the league is doing right now. Everybody. It's it's all about the offense. Yes, you need a good defense, but who won out last night? It was not the best defensive team. It wasn't even the best overall team, in my opinion. It was the team that had the stars, that had the experience, and had the creative mind offensively to succeed. And so that's, I think, what you're gunning for when you're making a move like this. Now, it, it doesn't matter how successful the coach is. If you don't get the quarterback in here, you're set up oh, for you're failure. Done. You're done. You're done. Right, and so this is this is that second key decision that this front office over there with the Colts have to make, have to get right here, or else what are we doing? Because it's been a it's been a lowly last decade, Brendan, hadn't it?
1: Oh, it's been terrible. Well, we we do have to kind of baptize you in the command center in a way because everybody that has been here has given their sign of approval on one specific quarterback. So who you got? What quarterback you like? Oof.
2: <laughs> this this is the initiation of the command center here. here I got gotcha. you, fan. I tend to lean more C.J. Stroud. Okay, I do. Based off of his just on football playoff performance, seen. or did that just, sway you even more? I, I'm going the entire co- his entire college season and what what he's shown on the field. Bryce, I don't think they can go wrong with either one of those two choices, and quite honestly, I'm very curious to see how this shakes out with the Bears. This yes. could get really, yes. really interesting to me. They have the world in the palm of their hand. You, could, you I would certainly expect for them to trade back at least once. Same. Do you do, you do a deal, and speaking hypothetically here, do you do something where you just move back once, one to two, or one to five, or do you get really interesting and go back to two? Then the Colts wanted to get to two to make sure they at least get a quarterback. They could add three, four first-round picks plus a little more just for bypassing a quarterback and taking presumably their top defensive player on the board. They are in the primetime seat. Now it's on them not to screw it all up. We had David Kaplan on the
1: show about a month and a half ago. Asked him straight up, when was the last time the Bears had the NFL (laughs) world in the palm of their hands and and they controlled everything? He said four decades ago. So it's been a long, long time since the Bears had this kind of power. Uh, One thing that was brought up uh, among my friend group last night was, you know, Shane Steichen has done this with Jalen Hurts. Is there a quarterback out there right now in the draft that you can kind of just plug and play with what the Eagles have done with Hurts? Well, it was brought up, Bryce Young, is he too small? C.J. Stroud, does he have the ath- same athleticism as a guy like Hurts to rush for three touchdowns in a Super Bowl? And, of course, there's the Will Levis effect. There's Anthony Richardson from Florida. There's uh, Henan Hooker from mm-hmm. Tennessee. All these guys can't – if the Colts go with one of that group of five, let's call it, can they match what Shane Steichen has done with Jalen Hurts? I think that's the ultimate question for this team is if Steichen's your guy – And again, he's going to have a whole different offensive core. Same calls, same plays, but can he plug and play the same stuff that he's done with Hurts with this new guy?
2: That's the question. My bigger question is, Jalen Hurts got to 53 in the draft two years ago. Yeah. Where were the Colts then? It's a great question. They had a different mindset, and I I think we were all on board the first couple of years, right? Phil Rivers, yeah, he's kind of that stopgap, the in-between guy. But then they just kept going back to the used cars sales lot (laughs) and trying to get another twenty five thousand miles there. When you really should have bought the new car, knowing you know it might take a couple years. And that I think finally we're we're seeing the Colts convert their mentality there and be willing to grow together with that. To your point about matching it up, I, I think you. In general, I think you, you go with best available and you figure it out. I'm with you. You gotta This This is where so many times in the draft, I don't care what league you're talking about, you can screw it up by saying, well, we have a power forward already. Well, we have an mm-hmm. offense. Well, if that guy is going to change everything, it's, if he could be a franchise guy for the next seven, eight years, any position, you go and get him and you figure it out later. So I, I'm all for best talent, best prospect available at quarterback
1: and this gets back to the original conversation Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files you can see his work as well 107.5 thefancom with the Indiana Pacers I'm Brendan King Eddie Garrison's here drivehewler.com studio fan midday show here post Super Bowl Sunday uh, if you draft the young guy and you got to remember what Jalen Hurts had with the Eagles they went out and they got him an ultimate weapon in A.J. Brown, they went out. Well, they had a tight end in Dallas Goddard. They rebuilt their offensive line. The running back core is sort of that three-headed monster look. Sanders really did not get a ton of
2: opportunity last night, but I thought Gainwell was explosive. What a great explosive. name for a running back. Yeah, And he had all that yeah. action early yeah. on. Yeah. And I laugh, though, too, because that first drive, he was so close, rightfully so, called back. Yes. But in, especially in the Super Bowl, I think about how much money changes hands or doesn't go out because of one situation there. And Gainwell not getting in. And then what was it? A quarterback sneak, which worked per, Red, to yes. perfection yesterday for the Eagles, well, by the way.
1: I think that's what Colts fans are begging first to touchdown. see. Remember when, remember when the Colts ran a uh, <laughs> ran a pitch at the goal line earlier this year. I forgot what game that was, but they were just begging for a QB sneak and they didn't call it. So I'm sure a lot of Colts fans were happy that, that a Shane Steichen offense features QB sneaks. But yeah, I had a Boston Scott anytime touchdown bet last night and Boston Scott had that Those two runs to the goal line right before Gainwell scored, I was about, oh, come on, man. But, (laughs) uh, you know, there's that three-headed monster look for the Eagles. So they have all these available weapons around Jalen Hurts, and maybe that has made it easier on Hurts to settle into that offense and maybe a reason why they've been firing on all cylinders. There's some work to do here, Scotty. With this team, what do you address first? Do Do you need to go Find a game-record-wide receiver. Do you need to rebuild the offensive line? Do you need to touch up the running back position? What do you do?
2: Well, first of all, one more thing on Steichen, too, by the way. I was looking back in last season for the Eagles. First in rushing yards, first in rushing touchdowns. Mm. Yes, you have Jalen Hurts, but I also thought, all right, does that mean Jonathan Taylor will be featured, continue to be featured? Because I think there's some overlying thought is, do you use him as a trade chip here? depending on what that value is, right? But are you willing to offload that to bolster your roster elsewhere? To me, it starts up front, certainly with the line. I think it's certain... Last year, we saw an offensive line that regressed. Clearly, was not good enough for the long run. I think you probably need one more stability piece right there. And then outside of that, you need weapons. How long have we been saying that? For me, it starts at tight end, I think. Because at that, again, I hate to beat a dead oars, but that's become the safety valve... For, for quarterbacks in this league, mm-hmm. especially if you can get that dominant. Now, I would have liked to see more of their tight ends featured this past season, which we did not. I think that was something all of, uh, Colts fans would have liked to see. And then on top of that, y- you got to go out and add some weapons. I think the defense is good enough. We Again, we just did not see that Colts offense score nearly enough to compete in this league. 17 points per game is never going to do it.
1: Never. Never, never, never.
2: Uh, halftime show, you like it? Yeah, I was good with it. Yeah, um, I thought it was okay. My gen- Here's my general thought. I is thought I it g- was okay. I go into these, I want to be entertained, I want to hear some hits, and my goodness, one after the next. <laughs> the the that hits was, that came in. Wasn't that so impressive, I think, with Rihanna, especially when she hadn't made new music in like a half decade here? Yeah, as well, in the her
1: health status. I mean, she's having another baby. So, I mean, even more impressive that she could go up there and belt out those hits for 15 minutes.
2: Yeah, you also keep in mind, too, though, I don't know how much live singing there actually is.
1: See, that's that's why the gist okay like it seemed like whatever that's she true was, for any act for sure but it seemed like whenever she was being elevated on the platform lip-syncing happened and then whenever she was on the ground it was actual yeah. singing i think it was pretty easy to tell i thought the choreographed dancing was better than just about any halftime show of the l- recent times but yeah the singing could have been better
2: i don't i don't take off points here for the singing because that's what every act is, right? No one's really singing live, almost for a safety reason, in terms of making sure the audio comes through and it sounds Mm. good. The last thing an artist wants to get up there is sing live, have to go through all that physical exhaustion, and then it performs well, or performs poorly, I should say. So I thought Rihanna, it was a nice blast from the past. We had not heard her for a while. What I did think about, though, was maybe the older crowd that were listening in and this probably was not their genre of music, and they weren't sure what was going on. There was some air humping. There was some some of these hits that I think all of us perhaps enjoyed. Um, probably your 40, 45, and under crowd, uh, especially. But I, I know it was a big hit with so many. There, As always, there's a, a lot of a big community that is talking about, hey, you know, I'm just here for the halftime show. I just wanted to see Rihanna. There's always that special group, right?
1: Yeah, well, I saw so many tweets. It's like, hey, are you watching the Rihanna concert later? Yeah. There (laughs) there just happens to be a football game going on. Uh, Eddie, was, okay, so you are the dating man. Uh, Was Olivia more pumped about the halftime show or the game?
3: That was the only thing she wanted to watch. There you go. All right, so there it is. Well, she's a Bengals fan, so she didn't want to watch that game either way. She can't stand the Eagles. She can't stand the Chiefs. But it's Super Bowl Sunday she can't stand the angles she can't stand the Chiefs she didn't mm. really care for the Super Bowl itself
2: <laughs> that's tough not to have a, a team that you just at least don't care about in a in a yeah. good way right where you're just neutral about because that is tough going into a game although what you got to remember is the Super Bowl such a spectacular it's everything we're talking already in the first 23 minutes we've hit on the broadcasters the game how everything. it how it affects everything local the officiating the field there's just Almost you have to watch it so you're not missing out for the next week of conversation. That's a whole other thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, you're not wrong. But yeah, I, I thought it was I thought the best halftime show of the most recent years was the weekend. Hmm. That that was beautiful that was beautifully no. put together. You didn't like that one? No. I don't know. I kinda like the preset stuff more so than just fifteen minutes of
2: back and forth. On the stage. I, was, I also thought she was going to bring out somebody last night. I was just going to say, I give her credit for taking this entire thing solo yeah, yeah. while clearly being pregnant.
1: Well, I I, I didn't think uh, when all of the lights came on, her like, there's no way she's bringing out Kanye. That that probably wouldn't fly <laughs> nah. too well. But no, I thought she would bring out Drake or Jay-Z for like Run This Town or,
2: mm-hmm. or something else. But yeah, it was solo. Got through, I think, 10 songs. So a good yeah. variety. Can't get through them all. But no, I thought it went over well. And um, I thought the broadcast was great. Yeah, I I didn't have too many negative things to say outside of really the field. That's what was disgusting <laughs> to, to because am 31, Brandon, they spent 3 years and like crazy. upwards of 800,000 we've read on this field and clearly did not get it right. That was a huge whiff. Do you know what they call the guy that made the grass? I do. The, because the because, sod father. Yeah. They, and I don't know if we don't know if he's specifically to blame. Obviously he oversees it. But there's so much to go into this that you know we're we're seeing that field was you know grown on a in you know middle <laughs> yeah. of nowhere in yeah. Arizona for the last three years. Well, maybe they got to rethink that because that field. What I'm not a huge turf guy, but I know what turf is every single game. Yes. and you're not going to have to have a crew of what looked like 30 out there replacing divots at halftime and guys changing spikes. Uh, that's one big reason, in fairness, too. That I like indoor. I know a lot of people don't. I like indoor because it, it levels the playing field. You're not talking about the field. You're not talking about the weather conditions, the wind, and generally you see the best team win. Well, I will say,
1: the sod father, he got his start with the White Sox, and then he actually okay. he actually did South Bend's four wins field. Grass. And there has never been a problem with guys slipping or whatever in center field at, at our ballpark. So I, I don't know if he's to blame or what, but or or like the fresh paint. I don't know, but that, that got a little dangerous.
2: Sometimes. By the way, on that paint, that was excessive. We do well, not yeah. need the NFL. Sh- <laughs> no, we got the I NFL know. shield at midfield. Totally understand that. Yeah. Do we really need a ginormous Super Bowl logo at both 25-yard markers that extends like 15 yards? Uh, and the, by the way, key point right there, too, is it's right where the kickers often are swinging at it. Well, that's where the game-winning field goal came from. And the and the first one that was missed. Yeah. Uh, My, my buddy. We can't have that. No, my buddy live bet,
1: I, I guess on one specific sports book, you could bet that a field goal was going to hit the post. It was plus 500 betting on the doink. Huh? He bet on the doink and it hit <laughs> it. Hit. Uh, incredible. Uh, last thing before we have to take a timeout commercials did, did the to uh, like TV commercial of that screw with you? It did not get me. It no. got oh, I, I was like, "Who changed the channel?" Uh,
2: <laughs> but then I watched it again. I yeah. realized they had Burkhardt and Olsen in different suits. So that's something not not everybody's paying attention to, like us, though. Yeah, oh, Being broadcasters, I, I, we're watching that closely. And I was seeing, hold on, that's a different camera angle. It's not nearly as good quality as the initial shot. <laughs> I was thinking about all those, for sure. But no, that one did not get me because I'm fully aware. I was fully aware of what Tubi is. It's a Fox product. It's their streaming platform mm. that's for free that, of course, they're going to market when they have the broadcast. And so I, I know we got a lot of people because Twitter was on fire after. People that. were
1: losing their minds. Uh, the The dog one definitely brought out some tears in people, I would say. You know what I'm I, talking about there
2: there were a couple dog commercials, but I, yeah. I think I know what specifically. Uh, well, it
1: was like they got the puppy, and then the puppy lived in its entire, entire life, and then it got old and it was like reliving its life. You don't talk,
2: I forgot what what brand that was, but or what the brand. ones that don't do it for me because I'm not a movie guy is the movies. I automatically tune out. <laughs> me what too. What about you? Uh, I have I, no interest in
1: it. I'm not a Marvel guy, yeah. So, like, the Marvel thing came on earlier. I was like. Eh. You know, but I will say, speaking of movies, Serena Williams completely ripped off Any Given Sunday. The Any Given Sunday speech? Why did they just bring in El for that? Yeah, that's
2: true. But yeah, it was... Co- commercials, I think, in general are, have fallen flat, especially over the last decade. Yeah. Here was the thought I had, though, last night. How often are we watching commercials anymore? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Honestly, think... only during live games. Yeah. And that's basically it. Therefore, I think... Our mindset, or we're tuned differently to approach these commercials. However, I will say too, if you're dropping seven million dollars for these commercials, so expensive, th- they got to be a little better. Some of these ideas, I mean, they're they're leaning hard on going back and tapping into the nostalgic era, and and let's try to you know remake this. Let's bring this back. You mentioned you know like the grease, um, the highlights of that, and, and I don't know. I, commercials did not do it for me, but I did sit through them. That's the tough part about the Super Bowl is when do you take time to go refill your beverage, yeah. to go make dinner, whatever. Well,
1: for some people, it's during the game. <laughs> you know, the people that were there for the Rihanna concert. I will I say, hear John Travolta's head, that that's pretty shiny now. I didn't realize he was... He was so bald. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison's here. It's the Fan Midday Show. Good one for you post-Super Bowl. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, is going to join us next. Brandon Gaudin from Fox Sports will break down Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm sure he'll talk some Big Ten hoops as well. And Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, coming up at 2.30. BK, Scott Agnes, Eddie Garrison coming back next.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Scott Agnes is on the Fan Midday Show. You'll hear Scotty here on here Monday and then Wednesday as well. I believe Derek Schultz is in studio tomorrow. Jimmy Cook will be back on Thursday and Friday when I'm sure his kansas city chief super bowl slumber will i can't wait we'll, to hear we'll, all about that he's probably got some stories man good for him good for jimmy by the way drivehulbert.com studio bk scott agnes eddie garrison waiting on don fisher the voice of the indiana hoosiers we'll get hooked up with fish as soon as we can hoosiers beat the michigan wolverines by the way in ann arbor for the first time since 2016 that was this weekend now indiana again they're on a winning streak three games three w's in a row you're an iu guy right
2: yeah, it's yeah, the only place so, I applied to went man, you there. Got, you gotta be pretty it. happy, especially at the last month or so. You have to be. Yeah, I mean, what they've been able to do and rise through, and really handle their schedule ever since mid-January, right? Mm, like, yeah, what what we're seeing is Trace Jackson Davis put the team on his back and say, "Follow me," and that's what you love to see right now. He, he over his career, we've seen him deal with some injuries. I, I, I'm sure he's not a hundred percent right now. Jalen Hood-Chevino is the most talented player pro on that roster. But Trace Trace has been there. He's done that. He's experienced. You're talking about not winning in Michigan. He's experienced all those different venues. And I think right now uh, he's done an exceptional job helping IU in this tough part of the schedule right now. So Race Thompson did not play on
1: Saturday. There were five other IU players that touched the floor other than Trace Jackson-Davis and Jalen Hood-Chevino. Those five players combined... For 13 points, yeah, I, that's what scares me, Scott, about this team. Because you can beat conference opponents like that. You can slug out a game by having two guys really lead the offense. I don't know if you can win in March
2: like that. You need you need one star guy. You need the you guy need that can go get you a bucket. Yeah, and then you need a bunch of role players who understand where they fit in in this. And you know, you talk about tournament weekends. You got to be able to do it for two games. You need that Friday-Sunday, right, or the Thursday-Saturday. And and you do need those contributions off the bench. It was surprising to see just a seven-man rotation. Usually mm-hmm. it's eight, maybe nine. And so to see what they were able to do, Trace Jackson leading the team and scoring nine of the last ten games, you got that part checked off. It seems like especially when race is out. Race is kind of not the heart of the team, but kind of a, a, a guy that they're so reliant of even though his numbers aren't big, right? like it's it's a weird thing to say because he doesn't shoulder the load offensively. He's not their best defender uh, offensively. in fact, def- defenders sit back and kind of play center field with him. But with race being out, we saw that's when that that losing streak a month ago picked up because mm-hmm. they looked a little bit lost unsure of themselves with race at, without him in the middle of it.
1: And I think he can he can go win you a game in March. Maybe single-handedly. It depends on who you're playing. You you would need the team you're playing to kind of almost look identical to you, where they also have one guy and a bunch of role players. But And, and this is just kind of blowing smoke here, Scott. If you're playing a team like a Virginia or a Gonzaga or a Texas or a Kansas State, everybody on those teams that touches the floor can score. So that's where, in my mind, you run into trouble when, again, I would assume Race Thompson would play in the NCAA tournament if healthy. But if you're playing seven guys and only two of them score 10 plus, that's really, really hard to win
2: a tournament game. Really hard. So that's just what concerns me. And more than that, though, how about three-point shooting? Yeah. (laughs) And it's not isolated to just IU in this game. Michigan only had five, but IU two for six. It seems like so much of IU's success right now, outside of Trace Jackson Davis, is dependent on are they making shots or are they not? Jalen made one. Miller Kopp made one. And that was it for the game. I know Miller Kopp takes a lot of criticism, I think, if he's not in there shooting, if he's not out there Mm -hmm. knocking him down because a lot of people want to pigeonhole him. Into that role. He's a three-point shooter, and that's it. I, I push you. I urge you to watch him defensively and see the ways that he covers up things. Oftentimes he might be the one that picks up the foul, but it's because he was covering for someone else and was trying to slide in there for the block. I really have liked, uh, beyond the obvious of Trace and Jalen, Miller's a guy, I think, that has impressed me in the last couple of months in conference season of what he's been able to do, and that's beyond his shooting because we know that can always be there.
1: So Indiana gets Northwestern next. That's on Wednesday. That's a nine o'clock game, by the way, eight o'clock central in Chicago. So Northwestern No big deal, right? Yeah, they got a they got an interesting <laughs> swing here that they get back to back home games against Purdue and Indiana and all of a sudden this game is for second place in the Big
2: Ten Scott. A lot writing on it. crazy. Yeah. Just think about being a student at Northwestern. Yeah. To get this big win they were. I couldn't a... have been. I'm not that smart. I can <laughs> <laughs> Hey, great broadcasting school though. Great broadcasting Journalism school. school. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but to have those games kind of back to back That's got to be a blast for those students. Now I know it's something that Indiana fans here in the state won't like. 9 p.m. start for that one, so it's much later coming up on Wednesday. But that this to me, if you're Northwestern, it's a good test of who you are because how will you respond after that big win, right? Yeah. Um, And for IU, that's what I was looking at after their win over Purdue. I thought for sure there would be that letdown, one of it. You know, it might be Rutgers who. It seemingly had their number the last several years. Nope. Handled them one by six. Okay, now it's got to be Michigan, right? There's the let. Nope. They came back, held them scoreless in the final, what, five minutes? Got the stops they needed. Was able to come back after trailing much of the games. I think that's a testament of, of good coaching, of good leadership on the team, and guys being able to get you buckets when you need it down the stretch. Well, Northwestern's dealing
1: with injuries, too. So by this time of year, I think everybody is facing... Some kind of challenge, whether that's For sure. injuries or something else. I mean, look at the New Mexico State stuff. I mean, that's oof. oof. That's that's not good.
2: By the way, to that point, I, I laugh while watching Super Bowl coverage and they're talking about the health of of so many players, yeah. obviously Mahomes and others. And i laugh at the media question when they go, you know, to whomever this is. I think the one I'm speaking of directly was Jalen Hurts. Jalen, are you a hundred percent going into this week? Do you realize none of those players Impossible. are a hundred percent after playing All these, probably been at it for 20 weeks now. None of them are 100%. If Jalen was 90%, then he's doing something right because of the toll it takes to get ready every single week. Well, you see it, different sport, but you see it every day in the NBA. Absolutely. And what it
1: takes to get on the floor. I mean, I see it every day. When you play ball games during the summer every day, I mean, guys are in the trading room every day, whether that's a pitcher for their arm or or a guy for their shoulder. You know, that's a big power hitter, so... I mean, you see it every day. What it it takes to get on the floor, on the field, there is so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And now, you know this, athletic training staffs specifically at the highest level, think how many athletic trainers are in a single NFL team, in a single NBA locker room. It's madness.
2: I know for the Pacers, it's three full-time athletic trainers specifically to the Pacers. You could throw two more in there if you include the Mad Ants, which are also at the facility. Uh, I mean, that grew to three from two three or four years ago. On top of that, you have sports performance people. And I think the one big thing to this point, Brendan, that would surprise fans is to know what happens after games. Players go to the training room, or excuse me, the weight room and lift weights after the game. I don't understand that, but th- th- it was something I was informed about four or five years ago. Actually more than that. Oh my goodness. Roy! It was Roy Hibbard who I learned from. And that's how they maintain everything throughout the season. Is by after games. It's not for cardio, obviously. It's for strength, going in there, lifting weights. And that's one of the many ways that is found to be effective in keeping guys on the floor. That's, Mm. it doesn't, I don't think that's common sense, right? You just played 35 minutes, you're tired, you're worn out. All right, now go back to the weight room. But I I guess it's, it's obviously it works because they continue to do that. So there's so many little things like that, little nuances behind the scenes that I think would surprise a lot of fans.
1: Well, and, Really, nobody thinks of that because to the average Super Bowl viewer or whatever, but in the Super Bowls case, sure. yeah, you know, th- they don't think about what Patrick Mahomes just went through at halftime for 15 minutes to even get back on the field and go win that Super Bowl. Now I'm sure people are like, "Oh well, you know, he's actually walking okay now." But if it ever comes <laughs> out, the amount of whatever they put in that ankle. I would love to know. I would have loved to be a fly in the wall in that locker room, nope. whatever they put in that ankle.
2: No kidding, because it certainly looked like he was much improved, or at least wasn't feeling that pain in the second half, that he was, you know, got a shot of Tordahl or whatever at halftime. But excuse me, I think I saw a post game where a reporter asked him that, and he said, no, he did not get anything like that at halftime. But I guarantee significant <laughs> treatment of some yeah. kind, whatever that was. And leading into the week, what it takes to get these players available, forget what they're doing on the field. Forget all of that. I guarantee Mahomes has his own personal athletic trainer, you know, physical therapist in his house every single day. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me, Brendan, if he's sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber. It wouldn't surprise me if he's in there at 6 a.m. getting two hours of treatment before even starting the football. Part of his day through the playbook, reviewing film, all those sorts of things. Those are the little things that it takes to be atop your game in the best of the best. That's why you see LeBron with his own full-time, you know, physical therapist traveling with him everywhere he goes, and that's the only guy who touches him. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be interesting with the Sean Payton stuff because he said that Russell Wilson cannot have his own personal people, uh, like especially quarterbacks coach. So I, uh, I thought it was weird Sean Payton was on the broadcast last night.
2: It's kind of mm-hmm. random. Well, he was with Fox throughout the season. Right. I, so I just to figured, me, he was finishing up that contract. Yeah. And also, why wouldn't you want to work a Super Bowl? Oh, for sure. It's I, great exposure if you're the uh, Denver Broncos as well. It's, hey, oh, he gets coach. some scouting on, on his future <laughs> opponent too, Pat Mahomes. That too. You know yeah. what I'm saying?
1: That's Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. You see his work as well. At 1075TheFan.com covering the Pacers. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison's here, Fan Midday Show. Coming up next, we gotta get Scott's thoughts on the Pacers. They are at home tonight taking on the jazz. That's a seven o'clock tip. Jazz does not look like Russ no Russ tonight, probably.
2: Uh or ever with the ever. Jazz. Or ever. But by, by the way, I should note this, because this is noteworthy. You have Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, two starters, both listed as questionable. I'd be surprised if Tyrese doesn't play, only because, like Buddy Heald, he hates missing games. Mm. Obviously, depends on the severity, how they're feeling here this afternoon. But those two are questionable going into tonight.
1: We will get Scott's thoughts on tonight's matchup against the Jazz. Busy week at home for the Pacers. Three games coming up in the next four days or so. Or do they go on the road on Thursday? No, it's All-Star break starts Thursday. Oh, that's right. Okay, so two of them. Two of them. Anyway, we'll get Scott's thoughts on the Jazz game tonight. That's next on The Fan.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: And we welcome you back in here. It's a false start. No big deal. High above... Monument Circle, I'm Scott Agnes, joining today and Wednesday with Brendan King and Eddie Garrison holding down the fort tonight. The Pacers trying to break a a losing streak right now, Brendan. It has not been good for the last month, really since Halliburton went down. Lost 15 of the last 17 have looked a shell of themselves, quite honestly, the last couple of games. Tonight, Utah's in town. Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, both questionable. But, Brendan, we might see the Pacer debuts of their two newcomers, of George Hill and Jordan Wara. What's most interesting to you about this Pacers group? Here this week, you got two games left. Tonight, Jazz, Wednesday against the Bulls. And then, I think, as everyone in the league needs, a little all-star break in about 10 days between games.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you. The George Hill trade is really... Really enticing because T.J. McConnell, I don't know how much of a trade piece he was. You would know more than anybody else. But was it surprising that they brought in another veteran guard? Is that concerning? That would take away minutes from a Matherin or somebody nemhard somebody else that's young
2: no because the deal was done for not those two players it was done with the idea of getting three additional second round picks mm. because at the trade deadline what we saw were draft picks meant everything if it's you were crazy. trying to get player what you didn't see was you know a, a perfect example is a guy like boyan Dugdanovich. he's in Detroit they're not a playoff team. He was perfect to be moved. OG Anobi did not get moved. Uh, guys being traded just to be on expiring contracts this year did not get moved. It was either a couple blockbuster deals like we saw with Kyrie to Dallas, like Kevin Durant to Phoenix, or it was it was tweaking around the fringes for the pacers it was adding three second round picks you know for the golden state warriors they added a couple good pieces it took them like five second round picks and so i think what you're seeing here yes they're happy to have George georgio yes they're curious to see what what ultimately jordan wara will become very much an offensive sided Uh, offensive-minded type player, this was really done with the future in mind and stockpiling draft picks. Um, And I think it worked out quite well. And here's one thing I'll give credit to is Herb Simon spending money again. There's so much criticism that I believe is unfound uh, about how he's not willing to go into the tax. Well, you should not go into the luxury tax right now. This team is not good enough. But rough math, they basically spent like $10 million. They did not need to because it worked flexibility-wise to add caps uh, to, excuse me, add uh, these draft picks. And alongside what's really interesting to me too, Brennan, is George Hill back for his second stint, and he doesn't want to lead this time. I think he's got a couple more years in him, certainly not at a high-priced role. Uh, he's in the final year of his contract, so he would need to resign after this season. But my belief was always he wanted to kind of be like Andrew Luck in, in this respect. Just go away, disappear. He's not a sports guy. I guarantee you he did not watch the Super Bowl last mm. night. He's he's always talked about how he's only playing basketball because it's something he's good at, and he enjoys being out there in the competitive nature of it. But he's not one like Tyrese Halliburton that's probably watching 10 different games on League Pass each night. But what he, w- he would like to do, ideally is be able to be that veteran leader the next couple of years, retire a Pacer, and what's even more intriguing is not disappear and go away, but maybe have some kind of role with the organization post-playing days. I think everybody would be a fan of that. At minimum, how helpful could that be to, I mean, just in an ambassador role? You see it with Dwayne Wade with Utah, uh, even though he spent his career in Miami primarily, but I think you're seeing players take on more ownership. Um, You're seeing... The, a franchise like the Pacers aren't getting guys in free agency. So if George Hill could kind of help change that moving forward, even to a, a, a little degree, it doesn't even have to mean you're getting max free agent guys. But And then also maybe help tweak things inside. He's a player. He knows exactly how things are run. He's been dealt a half dozen times, so he knows what works and what doesn't as he was going around to the different franchises. So I think that's an intriguing piece about what he could potentially mean for the franchise now and for the next handful of years. You think James Johnson is coming back on? I think that's the plan, yeah. It has not been completed yet. I think we'll hear that this afternoon. Because, look,
1: the veteran leadership all of a sudden, I mean, that seems like a really diverse and fun locker room. Because I've Mm -hmm. I've been at the games enough to see James Johnson has been on so many teams, that guy walks to the away bench nearly every (laughs) pregame to give somebody a hug that he knows. No, you're exactly
2: right. He's on his 10th team in 14 years. Yeah. And it's been amazing. Knows everybody. It's been amazing to me, Brennan, how quickly – he has made, He has been able to become an integral part of what this team is about. Certainly, he's not a contributor on the floor, and that was not the expectation at all. He's in that Udonis Haslam-type role as an enforcer. He has a black belt, if you didn't know, by the way. Hmm. So it could come out if he needs it. So are we, actually. <laughs> no. And so beyond that, then, I think he can help reiterate, reemphasize the message from the coaching staff. And also players have said, even before the coaching staff gets there, it's James pointing things out or pulling guys aside. And that's incredibly valuable when you have so many guys like Halliburton, like Jalen Smith, like Isaiah Jackson, 22 and under, who just don't have that experience. They've never been in a playoff game. Even Buddy Heald has not. Um, I think what we can do is throw away the, the playoff push which is something that several players have talked about. I just don't see it for this team. I didn't see it at the beginning of the year. They found some magic the first couple months of the season. Tyrese got hurt, and nothing has kind of been the same since. He's obviously back in the lineup if you haven't been following. And that's a big key thing, too, I think right now is, you know, I think you get a lot of casual viewers to tune into the Pacers right now, Brendan. The disappointing thing here is, though, you're two-thirds of the way done with this season. You're about to hit all-star break and that's when some of the casual viewers were tune in, and it won't be their basketball all season, unfortunately.
1: Last thing I'll ask before break. Tonight's game is a bit interesting because Jazz Pacers, do you think these two teams are in a similar spot? Just looking up and down at this <laughs> roster with what the Jazz have done and what Danny Ainge has done acquiring mm-hmm. assets and talent, seems like two teams that are kind of on the same track at the same time period.
2: Absolutely, and they, they've really struck gold with Laurie Markkanen becoming not just an all-star but now he's in the all-star starting lineup and you need that special kind of talent the Pacers have that in Tyrese Halliburton and then you try to figure out the rest of the roster Danny Ainge he's a known guy that you don't want to deal with in trades because you're probably going to lose it's one of those if Danny Ainge calls you, you probably shouldn't take the call or you should question why he's asking for something and think maybe we shouldn't do that then. Um, But he's going to get real creative here. He got all those draft picks and really screwed up the trade market starting last summer and then into the trade deadline by doing that deal with Minnesota with Rudy Gobert and gave up essentially six first-round picks and all of that by the time that was said and done. And that's why I think maybe you say there's a little bit of inflation when it comes to those draft picks. And to get a guy, it costs four first-round picks where previously maybe it takes two. And so that's something... All of the teams in the league right now are having to adapt, but you're absolutely right. Jazz and Pacers certainly uh more contending for a lottery pick than they are for a championship this season. They have a couple pieces, but still trying to fine tune that roster. All right, so where's Russ going? You had to pick you have to pick a team. Yeah. If I had to pick one right now just because there's been a lot of noise. From the Clippers and Paul George, I'd say the Clippers. He can stay home in Los Angeles, by the way, which I think at this stage Play in Play the his same career, arena? Absolutely. Just switch different locker room. Yeah. That seems to me to be incredibly valuable to Russ by everything he's said and done and his actions, too. He was a teammate of PG's in Oklahoma City. By all accounts, those two build up a, a pretty good relationship, and so I think that would be the easy route. Now, if I'm the Clippers, I don't really see a need to do that. You tried it with John Wall. He doesn't really have it anymore. I'm not sure you want to insert Russell into that situation and try to figure out here in all the drama that it brings. Fair or not, it becomes a huge topic of concern. You know, does he come off the bench? You know, hey, he got a triple-double, but it was a loss. How is he going to fit in with those guys? I'm not sure I welcome that right now, especially if I'm the Clippers and have a championship contending window right now. you got to maximize that. I don't want to bring in that outside noise. Did...
1: John Wall end up going back to the Rockets was that official? Yes, and then he was waived. Because that's hilarious. So he got the, that's, <laughs> that's the funniest thing I think it happened this week.
2: Yeah. The, that,
1: that was incredible. Those
2: guys the the individuals who are be able to sign incredible deals and then get waived. Yeah. So they make that money regardless is business hall of famers. In oh, sports. amazing life. Good, good for him, but must be nice.
1: After he talked all the sn- smack about Houston, the fact he was even a rocket for a minute. Yeah,
2: there's no uh, way they were going to welcome him back in that locker room. Hell no. But what you're seeing too, they're kind of opposite of the Pacers is they don't really have that veteran leadership. They got rid of EJ, Eric Gordon. And finally, thank goodness, got him out of that situation. He was one of those guys where just from a basketball purist standpoint, I wanted to see elsewhere so he could actually contribute to a decent roster. Same thing, I, I believe, about Bradley Beal in Washington. Yeah. I would love to see him Man, reach the playoffs. It. Yeah. yeah, he can. He doesn't have to do it every single night. But I would like to see him get moved. And I kind of felt that a little bit about Zion, although credit the Pelicans. They've really tried to figure it out the last couple of years and now are one of a just outside the contending teams, I think, in the Western Conference. But for the Pacers and how the trade deadline directly affected them, they picked up three second-round picks and a lot of talent moved out west, which certainly to their advantage moving forward.
1: That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison is here. Coming up next, we'll hit the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com, bringing on one of our good friends. That's Brandon Gaudin from Fox Sports, the voice of Madden as well. BG will break down the Super Bowl. Might as well talk some Big Ten basketball too. That's coming up next on The Fan. we got to have one of the best on the hotline brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com. I'm Brendan King with Scott Agnes and Eddie Garrison joining us now from the DriveHuebler.com studio. It's our good friend, the voice of Madden, play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports, Big Ten Network. It's Brandon Gauden. BG, thanks for taking some time, my man. I know your travel schedule is often pretty packed and busy, so was Super Bowl Sunday one that you could enjoy last night?
5: I had a game at Iowa, but thankfully I was able to rush to the – or at Minnesota, actually. I was able to rush to the Minneapolis airport, get back to Atlanta in time to see most of the second half. So I was tracking on the plane and then caught the second half back at home, ordered Pizza Hut and some wings, and, uh, yeah, it turned out to be a nice old Super Bowl Sunday.
1: Well, that's a hell of a night. That I mean, you basically <laughs> caught it at the perfect time. Mahomes got whatever <laughs> – they put in his ankle, and then he went on a run. Did you catch Rihanna, though?
5: I did. So I caught the tail end of that. That's kind of right when I right when I tuned in. Um, and there was a debate that we were having, my girlfriend and I, whether it's Rihanna or Rihanna. Because every time you hear her say her own name, she says Rihanna. But 99% of the world, including myself, calls her Rihanna. So... There was a there was a little back and forth, but I think we need to respect that she wants to be called Rihanna. So I'm I'm going with Rihanna. Going with Rihanna. <laughs>
2: Brandon Godin <laughs> joining us. Brandon, you had those great and hilariously entertaining videos during COVID. Maybe we need a video breakdown of how to describe her, what how, what we call her and why, based on interviews. I, I think that would be pretty right much, up your alley.
5: Pretty much the only thing I've done on social media in the last five years is those two or three covid videos outside of that i i don't really tweet i you know uh, and i know you weren't looking to go down this rabbit hole but what i love twitter for is for what we do guys is just following the writers right you you that's where i get my news and information and get links to player updates and stories and feature articles and so that that's where twitter is my best friend but outside of that i don't think the world needs to know whether i'm having a cup of coffee or taking a walk around the block.
2: <laughs> I'm there with you, man. I, I just hope the tw- Twitter does not get screwed up like it did two or three days ago for like 24 hours. It had so yeah. many of us writers uh very frustrated <laughs> and such. Uh, Brandon, I'm curious how how is what's your schedule like now because you had such a busy schedule throughout the NFL season when it overlapped with college football, with college basketball. You throw in trips to Orlando for Madden. Do you do things ease up a little bit here gearing up for? Big Ten tournament.
5: Yeah, I mean, right now that when, when football ends and it's just basketball, it's a little less chaotic. But still, I'm I'm doing more games for hoops this year than I've done before. But I I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I love doing that. So the fact that I'm on the road this time of year quite a bit doing. Big East and Big Ten, to me, is just a continuation of a dream I get to live out. Uh, things into the Big Ten tournament, and then I'll do the NCA tournament for Westwood One, will remain busy. And then after that, I will do baseball, but things should slow down a little bit. So once April 1st hits, should have some time to catch my breath. Because even with the baseball, that's usually... A game, maybe two games a week, but usually the rhythm is one game a week from April, May, June, and July. uh So that that's when things kind of slow down a little bit.
1: Brandon gaudens our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the dot com. I'm Brendan King with Scott Agnes and Eddie Garrison. BG, that uh, compared to your old days of being out west doing just a game a week, that's a lot easier in the summer. But uh go, going back to the Super Bowl in the second half that you watch, Brandon. Uh, your biggest takeaway from what Mahomes and the Chiefs did to beat the Eagles?
5: Yeah, I think, uh, look, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, as we've all seen, is just incredible. You know, guys, guys like him just don't come along that often at any position. He has a pretty unique skill set. And, and you mentioned the ankle. I mean, what he was able to do, there was that gutsy run he had late where you could just tell he was grimacing in pain and was not near 100%. Uh, so to be able to do that and plant and throw like he was with that injury was pretty darn impressive. I, I kind of wanted I, – I like Jalen Hurts a lot. I like his story. I think he just is kind of a – he's a team guy who seems to handle the media the right way and is a good locker room guy from everything I've heard. So I, while I love Mahomes, since he had one, I was kind of hoping that Jalen Hurts would get one. Uh, but you, you can't help but love the Chiefs. I just, I don't know. I Kelsey, uh, the whole crew, it just seems like a really good team. And it was the thing, thing though, that just was blowing my mind watching the game was, was the field condition. And I know a lot of people were talking about <laughs> mm-hmm. that last night and today. But I, I'm just blown away that in the, the biggest spectacle in all of sports that they let the field be in that shape and that it wasn't properly tested out so that it could be better. I I wonder if they had any inclination going in that this could be a problem and they just didn't say anything, but they're very lucky that somebody didn't tear an ACL or do something more serious on that field with all the slips that were going on.
2: We didn't have injuries, Brandon, but we did have an impact play in terms of guys losing their footing, the first kick by the chiefs, doinking, uh instead of going through so it certainly had that impact there I'm just you're right it's surprising to see in the biggest game of the year for something like that to become an x-factor um and all that to bring it back local talking with Brandon Godden here I'm curious as you you have the unique experience to talk with these quarterbacks to talk with coaches as you're going around and calling games uh throughout the season for Fox Colts Reportedly, in talks with Shane Steichen and probably going down that road, uh, more of an offensive-minded guy, a creative play caller. How much have you seen that become more of a trend over the last few years? And would that be, make the most sense in your mind to some of these um, teams that have head coaching openings?
5: Oh, I mean, that is the trend. Not only is it more offensive-minded, it's young offensive-minded. Shane, I, I don't know how old he is, but I know he's not 40. Um and so, look, I, I get it, and I, he's, he's one of those names right now that you hear a lot of positive things about in coaching circles and when you're out doing games. He has a great reputation. He's got the youth. He's supposedly a very energetic guy, and like you said, people love offense. Like, uh, defense just – I don't know – I mean, I know what happened here with the trend of the world that we live in, and everybody wants more excitement and offense, not only in football but in all sports. So I understand – uh, but it's like defense, if you, if you hire a defensive coach anymore, and some teams certainly have them, but it's just not as sexy as it once was. So uh, the Colts debacle, and we'll call it a debacle, and I've been witnessing it from afar. I did have one Colts game last year when they played Washington, but it, it's just been tough to watch. As someone who grew up in the state and, and grew up with those great teams with, with Manning and Marvin and Edge, uh, it, it's been tough to see so much turmoil And I'm just hoping they can find somebody to turn it around. I'm not here to say that Shane's the guy, if he is the guy, but certainly he has an incredibly positive uh, reputation. He's got a great background of the coaching trees that he's come from out west. So uh, we'll see. Uh, We'll see if he can be the guy to turn it around. Uh, I, I hope he can be.
1: Brendan Gauden, the voice of Madden from Fox Sports as well. Big Ten Network play-by-play, taking some time on the hotline brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and TheMowerShop.com. BG, one of the things that was brought up often last night, especially post-game when you were watching breakdowns, was... You know, is this the start of the run for Patrick Mahomes to go chase Tom Brady? And and of course, you know that's a media storyline. Of course, I don't know how many people are actually talking about that. But when it comes to the competitiveness and what the Colts have to get to in the AFC, do you see the future as like Mahomes versus Allen, as it was with Brady and Manning, or do you see all these other guys starting to just develop where it might not be as easy for Mahomes to get back there so often, just as Brady? Yeah.
5: Yeah, and I'm not sure how much longer Andy Reid has left. Uh, I know he was asked after the game by Bradshaw uh, whether he was going to continue, and he said, oh, you know, I'm just I'm going to enjoy this and keep going. Uh, and, and look, can Mahomes win without Andy Reid? Well, I think absolutely. I'm not saying that Andy Reid is the must to have there, but I guess my point is you don't know how long that marriage is going to last. And what we saw with the Belichick-Brady era for so many years – that was special. I don't know if you're ever going to see that unison between a genius head coach and an incredible quarterback uh, for that many years ever again. I just think that that was pretty unique. So I I don't know. I, I don't know that we're going to have, let alone Mahomes. You know, it seems like whether it's Burrow or th- there's, there's so many young guys that are kind of surfacing. I don't know if we're going to have so much focus on two guys like we had for a while with, with Brady and Manning, I don't know that you're going to really have that uh, anymore. I think what we lived through was a special era that may truly never be duplicated again. And I know that obviously Tom went on from New England and won another one in Tampa, but just to keep it germane to that New England franchise. And then with the Colts, even though they didn't obviously get as many Super Bowls, uh, but the one, but the, the Colts what the Colts were able to do all those years with sustained success. Um, I think that era that quarterback era that we just kind of graduated out of I'm not saying that there won't be greats and that Mahomes is not going to have an incredible Hall of Fame career certainly he's on track to do that Um, but I I just think that was a pretty unique time in, in the NFL
2: Brandon coach or player who's the one individual in the NFL you look forward most to your pregame talks with
5: I will say the guy that impressed me the most when I first had him, and it was the very first NFL game I did back in 2019, was Lamar Jackson. Uh, I had the Ravens and the Cardinals, so it was Jackson and Murray, and that was the storyline, two young quarterbacks. Murray was just in the league. But sitting down with Lamar Jackson at the Ravens facility was something that I'll always remember, first and foremost, just because it was the only NFL game that I had done. So stepping into that space was new and exciting for me but when he came in he just kind of commanded the room and the way he talked it was like man this is a guy that I would want to follow if I was in a locker room he was just cool, calm, and collected, uh, incredibly well-spoken. And just the way at such a young age that he was breaking down the coverages that he was going to see from the Cardinals and teaching us about what to look for as broadcasters was pretty darn impressive. And that's always stuck with me. And, again, a lot of that because it was the first meeting that I had, and there's been a lot of other greats that, that I've been fortunate to be with over the last few years. But that, that's the one that always kind of sticks at the top of my mind
1: bg speaking of broadcasters kevin burkhardt joining the fraternity of guys to call a super bowl last night first of all i thought his suit game was spectacular and then secondly (laughs) uh you being with fox sports i'm sure you've had plenty of time to talk to kevin so just your reaction of him getting to call the big game and how he did
5: yeah so before he got on the current team that he is he was paired with Charles Davis for the number two team. Charles is now at CBS, but Charles is the guy that I do the Madden game with. Right. And so, kind of through Charles and and Kevin being at Fox, those guys kind of became uh, mentors to me and great sounding boards. And Kevin is as, and Charles, but we're keep it to Kevin here since he just called the Super Bowl is as good of a guy as there is. And you know his story was told of him being a former car salesman then he got into doing the dugouts for the Mets on SMY and now all of a sudden here you fast forward 15 years later and he's calling a Super Bowl it's a, it's a pretty cool story it's a story of like perseverance and hard work and a guy just treating people the right way around him so I didn't get to catch the beginning of the broadcast but when I saw them come on camera uh, before the third quarter I was just I was just smiling just happy for him someone that deserves to be there that's a, a great broadcaster and even better person.
2: Brennan, let's switch to college basketball now in, in terms of what you've seen throughout this Big Ten season. I mean, I use certainly on a roll. Uh, Purdue losing two of their last three games. What stands out to you about what you've seen from the the Big Ten conference here as we enter the final couple of weeks?
5: Well, for the Indiana teams, I mean, look, we all know Purdue's good. I was surprised they lost at Northwestern, not because Northwestern's not good. Northwestern is good, and they certainly punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament with that win yesterday. Uh, it's just the way that Purdue has been playing. I, didn't, I, I thought with Northwestern's lack of interior presence that Purdue and Zach Eady would have their way, and I was wrong on that. But now you look at it, I mean, IU is only two games back at Purdue, and, of course, those two are going to play again. Uh, and and I know that there there's only 5 conference games left so Purdue would have to but if Purdue slips up in one of the other 4 and loses to Indiana You know, Indiana and Purdue, they could be co-champions of the league. Now, I know that that's not likely. What's likely to happen is that Purdue will, even if they lose to IU, hold on to their lead uh, and win the conference. Uh, But but that's not out of the realm of possibility. And all these people that slept on Indiana through their struggles earlier in the season, I think they're probably going to be jumping back on that IU bandwagon because this is a team that is incredibly dangerous. And I think when they've got all their pieces healthy and everybody's clicking and obviously Trace is doing what Trace can do, uh, it's still to me a team that not only could win the Big Ten tournament but could make a big run in the NCAA tournament. And we know how hungry Indiana fans are for that, uh, and, and I'm curious to see how they play down the stretch. But it's just exciting. It's it's exciting for you know people like us with our Indiana roots – to see both teams in the state playing at this level because when it's like this and it's been a long time but when it's like this it just makes that rivalry so much fun and it makes February and March so much fun in the state of Indiana so it's pretty cool to see
2: yeah Brandon the only thing selfishly that's frustrating is the fact that the Big Ten Tournament Is away now, not here in our backyard at Cambridge Fieldhouse when you have maybe, you know, Purdue and IU potentially one and two. How about the IU women's team? You know, like number two in the country. It'd be fun to have those um, right here. I will say this, too. I think so much anymore in college basketball, you don't see those players that were with the program through and through. And I think right now, much like I think we saw several years ago with Yogi Ferrell, you're seeing Trace Jackson Davis really elevate his game. He's led the team in scoring in nine of the last ten games. And you're seeing that experience and leadership really shine through. Has that kind of been as well uh, evident to you throughout this?
5: Yeah, and I think just with the COVID year, for all the bad things that happened in COVID, One thing that COVID has done is it has made college basketball keep around a lot of the older players that may not have been there, a lot of guys that have stayed around for a fifth, even a sixth year. In the Iowa game I did last night, there were four or five guys that were 24 years or 25 years old. Um, And I'm not saying that without COVID, Trace wouldn't have stayed. I'm not saying that. But I just think having guys like Race and Trace Xavier Johnson, guys that are able to stay around and create more of an identity with a program. That that reminds me of my childhood, you know, and I always throw out the name Calbert Chaney, who went to my high school, but I remember those old Indiana teams where players just you just knew that they were gonna stay four years. And I get why players don't do that anymore. Look, if you can go on and make fifty million dollars in the NBA <laughs> Go ahead, it, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to convince a kid to stay for a couple. So I'm not saying that, but there is something to really having a team where you know the players, you know them intimately. You follow their story for a few years and all the transferring that goes on, while I understand it, it's just tough as a fan and a broadcaster to keep track of it all. And it's tough to really have an identity with a program. So when guys like, again, I go back to Trace and Racist if we're talking about IU, but even Zach Eady if he stays another year, it's neat to have those star players that are staying around in a power conference like the Big Ten. Because I just think it, I think it makes it so much more identifiable for the fan bases.
1: Brendan Garden's on the hotline brought to you by the mower shop in Fishers and the Mowershop.com. BG growing up in Evansville and being around basketball in this state. How much of a game changer is it just for the morale, I guess, of college basketball here when Purdue and Indiana are both on this level?
5: Yeah, it is. And look, you know, being a Butler guy, and I know you are too, uh, you hope that that Butler is on that level again at some point. Right now, it's been a little bit of a struggle this season, although nice to see them beat their rival Xavier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, look, I remember in the early 90s with, with Glenn Big Dog Robinson and Chaney and Nover and some of those guys at Indiana, and there were just some battles. I mean, and, and when those two teams were playing, the state shut down. It's just It was just the huge event. And I'm not going to say it's necessarily back to that. I think at the beginning of the season, we thought it might have been, and then Indiana kind of stubbed their toe. But you got you got Purdue number one team in the country and IU starting to climb back up the rankings. So it's starting to get that feel back. And I think the way that Purdue has built themselves and what they've got coming in especially if Edie stays, but even if he doesn't, I mean, I still think that this is going to be a top-10 Purdue team next year, and then Indiana, we'll see what happens with Trace, uh, but, but the way that I think Mike Woodson is starting to brew things at Bloomington could have a similar situation. So we could be setting ourselves up, fingers crossed, for, for a, at least a five-year run here of really great battles between Purdue and Indiana, which would be a lot of fun. What's up next for you, BG? What do you got next? I've got, let's see, tomorrow I have uh, St. John's at DePaul, nice. and then Wednesday I have Minnesota at Michigan State. So I'm going to mm-hmm. stay here today, fly out early in the morning to Chicago, drive up East Lansing, and then come back home on Thursday.
1: Well, We will let you get back to all the prep when you got back-to-back games. That's, that's a <laughs> lot of work, my friend. Hey, we appreciate hey, the hey. time, BG. Appreciate
5: it, guys. Great to talk to you. All
1: right. Brandon Gordon with us on the hotline, brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and the TheMowerShop.com. That is quite the schedule that our guy has.
2: Yeah, th- that's the di- different thing when you're not a, t- a team broadcaster, meaning all Don Fisher, for example, calls all IU games. He already knows his schedule. He knows where he's going to be versus a guy like Brandon Gordon uh, There might be a time when he's in a uh, city and nearby the broadcaster's sick and he gets penciled in there. But more than anything, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable really throughout the season. Uh, talk about the NFL season as well. You throw and he might be, you know, And a Chicago Bears game on Fox on Sunday, then call a Big Ten game Tuesday, something else, you know, Thursday, then another Big Ten game Saturday. You might get three, four, five different games in there, all at different locations, all traveling commercially.
1: It's crazy. (laughs) But again,
2: that's what we love about it, too—being broadcast. That's the life.
1: That that is truly the life. And I will tell you, um, during COVID, I would have done anything Mm -hmm. to be on a 10-hour bus ride in baseball with... With you know forty five people packing pack one bus, that that's what was missed, and you know it's guys like BG that are that are leading the way for really the next generation because he's about to turn forty. So really, I mean, he's going to be the guy. You know, he's going to be the Nance, and I don't know. um yeah, the those guy, types of guys for the next generation. I was gonna say
2: the guy in his age group as well, Joe Davis, Adam yeah, Amin, yeah. all outstanding broadcasters that uh, you know, are doing so well. And you're right about COVID. Like, yeah, I think any of us. And it's because it's more than just the games. Um and so one of the things that was removed from the people like Brandon Gordon was doing the games on site. Sure. Was those individual meetings. I asked him, you know, who impressed you? Lamar Jackson in their sit down talks it's those things that even during that COVID year when they were doing remote broadcast for a year and a half that they were not afforded now it's generally for the most part back to normal for m- most broadcasts and and that's that's huge for so many in the business and and it, it leads to a better product right it leads to a more informed broadcasters a better feel for the team and I think the broadcasters have more of an appreciation for the broadcast because they can physically see you put the work in
1: that's Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. You can catch his stories and work as well, 1075thefan.com. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison is here, drivehubler.com studio. Coming up, we got a chance to hear from you. You can call in at 317-239-1070. Talk about the Super Bowl. Talk about the potential. Shane Steichen Higher reportedly per Adam Schefter. Shane Steichen is actively flying to Indianapolis, potentially to take the head coaching job for the Colts. 317-239-1070, we got a window for you. Rob Blackman coming up at 2.30 to talk some Purdue hoops. Thanks again to Brandon Gunnin. We'll come back next on The Fan.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: I'm studio. Brendan King, Scott Agnes, and Eddie Garrison. Cam and Devin making an appearance as well. What's up, boys? For the wrong reason, though. Eddie, what are
3: you breaking over there? Everything. <laughs> I'm surprised we're still on the air.
1: That's what I'm saying. Well you got the uh you got the YouTube stream up.
3: It's about the only thing I've got going up right now.
1: <laughs> uh what was your Super Bowl Sunday like, Eddie? Uh
3: had some baseball practice yesterday with Oh you uh, had to go coach? Yeah, I had to go coach we'll a little you. bit All from right. uh two to five Swung back uh, to pick up the girlfriend, and then we went over to my parents' house and watched about the first half, and then halftime, and then had to go back to the apartment so she can get a nap in before work, because she works nights. Man,
2: you're back and forth Sunday. You do anything? No, I was prepared for this, and a lot of Pacer stuff going on, man. We got... Two more games this week, then All Star Break, and I'll be out at Salt Lake City. So, like, it's oh, you're during, gone? Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love those, it. Those NBA events are are important to be at. There's everybody there. So many different people I can talk to, can interview, and on top of that, six Pacers are going to be there. If you include a couple of the Mad Ants as well, so it, no stopping in terms of that stuff when it comes this week. But yes, yeah, the Super Bowl parties. I was never one that enjoyed like a twenty person party. To me, it's to me, it's always about. I go back to this, and I I want a carload, right? I want the five, six, seven people. Anything more than a carload often gets you into trouble, right? You have the one individual on a trip. Who ha- wants to stay back in the hotel room they're tired or hungover, right? Or or you're, you're on that road trip and one person doesn't like the food you're good with. If you're taking two or three cars, you bring in a lot of opinions, a lot of different things. So try to keep it to a carload is my general philosophy.
1: We had about 10, and we, we do it yearly with the guys in the friend group and some not of horrible. their girlfriends. Yeah, so we had about 10, but I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Bill Burr video. Bill Burr hates Super Bowl parties because <laughs> people talk while the game's going on and don't talk while the commercials are happening or at least people that are pretty
2: minuscule about the game for sure. Yeah, there is that. And so talking is during the game. So not only do you have to evaluate the size of your Super Bowl party, you have to evaluate who is included in that bunch. How active talkers will they be? Because yeah, I mean, especially for us, if we're going to talk about it the entire next day, you really have to consume it and be able to observe it. And, and, the hard part, like I said in the first hour, is where do you find the break? Where do you find your restroom stop? Where do you find time to go get more food or refill your drink? What I found myself doing, I'm a little crazy, and this is how I consume a lot of my audio and videos. I'll, I'll increase the speed. So then mm. I, would, I would pause it and then catch up by tuning it ahead two times speed. And so in no time, I was caught up after those four or five minutes. So it did not become any kind of big issue for me.
1: That's an interesting way of doing it. I will say, big shout out to my guy Brad Parrish. He made wings on the grill, grilled wings, and they were fabulous. So that's got to be the
2: number one draft pick when it comes to Super Bowl foods.
1: Right? Yeah, but like smoked wings, which which is definitely a little bit different from the normal wing. And then yeah. my yearly Super Bowl tradition, I bring Long's donuts
2: to the yeah. Super Bowl party. Okay. So I think it's important to have something. You gotta right? have. You gotta bring what something. What is your token? Not only yeah. do you have to bring something, but I think it's sweet if you you are known for bringing whatever it is. I have one yeah. friend. I always know any party buffalo chicken dip. Just inevitable. I mean, you know it's coming. That's from needed. That. I think my second draft pick would be seven layer dip because Ooh. who doesn't want just a little something to munch on throughout the game? It's not a main course, but man, does that that really tops it off? I think you Seinfeld guy. Yes, I'm not one of those that dip. The double can, dip? You know, the yeah, double I, I do know film. that you, reference. You took a chip, Absolutely, you dipped it once, and you dipped again. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things, and I think Joey Molinaro does a great job the of best. this, of bringing it back to real times, yeah. current times, <laughs> yes. and how you can still... One thing, Brennan, I really want to do is go back and watch... I think it's on Netflix, maybe HBO Max, whatever it is, is go back and watch every single episode in a row... And be able to have, you know, that was one of those things growing up where I'd throw it on for 15 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes here, 15, never a full episode. And so I'd never have the complete picture. I'm not one of those that can quote it or or plays off of those references. But the double dip. Yeah, double. absolutely. <laughs> See, I That am, one's memorable. My, my dad always had it on growing up
1: in the 90s. So it was just leading into it. Had to. Sure. Kind of like you. I did the thing where, you know what? I'm just going to watch this whole thing. And then became a fan. Uh, will Indianapolis become a fan, though, of Shane Steichen per Adam Schefter? Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen is scheduled to fly to Indy. That's this afternoon, so it could be in the air right now. It could be landed right now when he is expected to finalize his deal to become the next head coach of the Colts. Joel Erickson from The Star just tweeted this 25 minutes ago. When the Eagles played the Colts on November 17th, this is what Shane Steichen said about Gus Bradley. Again, thanks to Joel Erickson for tweeting this. "Quote: I've got a ton of respect for Gus Bradley. I worked with him for four years in L.A. He's a hell of a football coach and a hell of a human being. So, does a Shane Steichen Colts coaching
2: staff keep Gus Bradley? What do you think? I would think so. I'm not sure unless the the. And by the way, Brandon Godden references age. Shane Steichen, 37 years old, so he's definitely under that 40. He's younger than BG. Mark. Mm-hmm." wow yeah I, so the only here's one thing that that irks me a little bit Brendan I'm curious where you stand on this be- so many fans are impatient right now you know why isn't they hired talking about the first week all right why are we doing second round of do you not want a thorough process why rush into this once again and what's the hurry Murray what are we doing here right the only thing and I think KB talks about this often in the morning show is just the chance at getting other coaches. It's what filling out your staff outside of that. I don't I don't think there's any justification for not taking your time for not interviewing as many candidates as you want. And by the way, one thing one advantage to all of that can come in the future when maybe the guy you don't hire you have a binder on him and you know kind of what his tendencies are. So when you meet in the first round of the playoffs, maybe you know and have a better idea of what he's trying to do offensively because you met with him for 12 hours one day a couple years ago. You see that a lot with teams in the draft. They may not have a chance at a guy at pick eight because they're at 17, but they still want to meet with him, whether it's for 30 minutes or whether it's uh, bringing it to NBA, bringing him in for a pre-draft workout, just to see what he's like, just to get him checked out medically. Allow for your assistants to get your hands on him. And they can tell. Those assistants can tell in a short time, is this a guy? Does this guy love basketball? You know, so to... With Shane Steichen, I have no trouble with the Colts taking their time here. There's no hurry outside of maybe losing out on assistance. And so if you like Russ Bradley, and I don't know how you could not with what his side of the ball has done, especially this past year, I'd be all for keeping that intact. And then, of course, the Shane Steichen would come in and really reset things, I think, offensively. And bring in some coaches that he's comfortable with. Because that's incredibly important. Those guys have to surround themselves with at least one or two individuals that are their right-hand man. That they trust with their life. Because they're going to the office with them 14 and 15 hours per day. You need that guy to kind of be there at all times for you. And and know your way of thinking. So even if you're not present on the football field or in the office, that guy knows what you would be wanting to be carried out. Just playing
1: devil's advocate here. Does it not bother you that... Gus Bradley had all those fourth quarter implosions on the docket for his defense last
2: year? I think that more speaks to the bigger problems. Maybe with the accountability of that roster. So you don't put that at all on Bradley? Certainly some. It's hard to describe how much, I think. It is because hard. we're not in there. We may not see the huddles where the guys quit on each other. May or may not be true. right? It, it's, it's hard to put a percentage, I think, on them. Certainly... Some blame lies on him. A lot of it lies on the head coach and that coaching staff. But I think so much of that, too, becomes on the players because they're the ones out there executing what is what is being done. And, I mean, I don't know. There were, it was troubling, you're right, what we saw in those second halves of so many games. But if if the offense could score... It would make things a lot more interesting. It'd make a lot things things a lot more competitive when they can score more than seventeen points per game, and that's what Shane Steichen's test to do. Number one,
3: I think you hit on it there, Scott, with the offense. I think that's the reason why the defense cr- crumbled late is because the defense was on the field so much.
2: Time of possession, man.
3: Yeah, you yeah. just get worn down, and I think that's what, I think that's that's what happened in those fourth quarters with Gus Bradley. And we heard the rumor last week, PK, uh, about Gus Bradley is that the Colts were, you know, blocking any interviews from him making a lateral move. Part of me thinks that they have already had their guy for some time. Like it's been speculative that that has been the case, and if that is true, then you would have to assume Gus Bradley is the defensive coordinator.
1: It just rubs me the wrong way slightly because there's there to me there's a difference between being tired and blowing the biggest comeback in NFL history, you know, and giving up 30-plus in the fourth quarter against the Dallas Cowboys. like There's a difference between that and giving up a touchdown lead in the fourth. And
3: that that Dallas game, I would say, is more attributed towards the offense than it is the defense because of all the turnovers. For sure. That set up Dallas with short fields to score.
2: That's fair. The biggest thing that stood out to me of the last two seasons, 2021, they were plus 14 in the turnover takeaway. That was number one. Then this past year, they finished last in the league, minus 13. You're not going to win any games Mm -mm. when it's at that level of those extremes. From one, you know, were were they going to set a record with turnover differential we were talking about a couple of years ago? Last year, the offense just did not produce, and I think, yeah, as Eddie referenced as well, you're going to get tired. You're going to be, I don't know, agile a little bit. You're going to be a little frustrated. That you're holding up your end of the bargain. You maybe held the opponent to 14 first-half points, and your offense only has three points. I we just, saw that script time and time yeah. again.
1: I just really hope that this is the plus side of the trend that you talked about with Brandon Gordon For sure. Because we've seen it fail. Denver, Arizona, in Dallas, they fire, they fire Kellen Moore. It's a mess down there with Mike McCarthy now. But do you become the next Philly, do you are you able to have a guy like Zach Taylor on the sideline here in Indianapolis? Because as much as it is the trend, it can kill you pretty quick. And we saw that because Denver, in all shapes and measures, brought in a Hall of Fame quarterback with... I think that's the biggest problem right there. Yeah. It, well, he was the problem. But they brought in a Hall of Fame quarterback with the offensive coordinator that worked with another Hall of Fame quarterback, and that turned into the biggest bleep show in the league this year.
2: I'm at a moment's notice. I'm always skeptical a little bit of the hot young assistant that comes in after he was with a Hall of Fame type player. Right. Because you're not, to the point of Chris Bradley in the pitfalls previously with the defense, how much of the credit. Should that offensive coordinator or, say, quarterback's coach deserve after having Aaron Rodgers on your side for three or four years? That's, that's a hard thing, I think, if you're in the front office. That would be very difficult to evaluate when you're trying to find that next it guy. A lot of teams have turned to someone within Sean McVay's tra- tree, which is remarkable because he's very young in his own right. And already thinking about retirement down the road because of how intense this job is. Um, but Shane Steichen, it's all going to start with the quarterback position. He was a former quarterback himself, played at UNLV. I think he had he he really grew with seven seasons with one franchise. I really do like that with San Diego Chargers and of course LA Chargers. And so I think that's where. You know, his growth was most experienced. He was with Philip Rivers, was with Justin Herbert, then got to go out on his own. And no pun intended, but got to let his wings fly a little bit with the Philadelphia Eagles the last couple of years, play with a very different style type of quarterback in Jalen Hurts. And my biggest takeaway, Brendan, in all this, is look at Philly's roster two years ago and look where it is today. That tells me beyond the quarterback and figuring out this head coaching spot that it can be done and it's on the Colts' front office as well to make sure it is done in, in terms of setting up the offensive line and having it not just be uh, stable and reliable. Because, by the way, did you watch last night in terms of the Chiefs? Did not allow for their injured quarterback to get hit or sacked all night. So you secure that, and then it's all about having weapons. Both of those teams had so many weapons, it just turned out the Chiefs, they had the higher caliber of weapons starting with Patrick Mahomes.
1: Maybe Steichen comes in and he wins the press conference. Maybe he comes in and he impresses everybody. But Sirianni didn't last year, he had, or two years ago, he yeah. didn't have to, he had to earn his right to get respected into that city. And by the way, that city will jump on you if they don't like you, and they'll, they'll, they'll boo you out of the place if they don't like you. So good for Sirianni that he's able to win over people that quickly. But kind of the same case here, Scott. Colts fans, to me, have the right to be skeptical. Colts fans in no way should just accept this and be like, all right, problem solved. We're good. We got an offensive guy. Because as you said to hit the show, this is half of the deal. You got to pair, reportedly, this guy with a superstar QB if you want to even sniff getting back on track. You're less than halfway there today. And that's what people got to remember.
2: Yeah, and then the other thing that becomes noteworthy is who does he bring with him I'm sure he'll bring a couple of assuming this goes down which is the way it's headed is that Shane Steichen from Philadelphia would presumably bring a couple of assistants close colleagues with him and then how does he fill out the rest of this coaching staff and the other big thing we've heard from the players inside the Colts locker room is kind of the leadership accountability standpoint that's where I'm very curious of of what change Steichen is like in terms of that because that's something that has absolutely been lacking the last couple of years. It seemed like Matt Ryan was providing some accountability, but it's also very difficult to do that when you're having a troubling year, when you're benched, then you're brought back, then, you know, what's your what's your future like you you need to know and the teammates need to know that this is our guy indefinitely moving forward.
1: By the way, that same Adam Schefter report, Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles DC is interviewing with the Cardinals today. So the Eagles might end up losing both of their coordinators under Nick Sirianni. We'll see what happens there. Scott Agnes is here. on Brendan King with Eddie Garrison. Coming up, 2.30, Rob Blackman, the voice of the Boilermakers, will be with us. Jazz and the Pacers tonight from GameBridge Fieldhouse. That's at 7. We'll get Scott's thoughts on that ballgame next here on The Fan.
4: According... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: To Brandon Gordon, it, it's Rihanna now?
2: That's I, what he said. That's
1: what he said. <laughs> I think,
2: I think I we know. all have referred to her as Rihanna. And I've always been Rihanna. And some may go riri.
1: I was I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised to see apparently in 2006 she played at the Vogue here in Indy. Was not aware. Yeah, I saw a post she in 2006 like right before she exploded she
2: was at the Vogue. Imagine going to the Vogue and seeing Rihanna. That's some good that's a good value for that ticket right there. I I, I thought was she was shocked. Great. I think the the thing that stood out to me, Brennan, most about her performance was it was just a reminder of oh another hit and another yeah one. that was it oh that one was her too like and and she didn't even play them all she that's how talented she is
1: she didn't play Disturbia which is my personal favorite which I was a little disappointed in but that's right? okay that's okay Uh Indiana Pacers they get the Jazz tonight from GameBridge Fieldhouse seven o'clock tip as you said Scotty Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner questionable how much. You put into that though?
2: Yeah, it's one of those you're coming off a of back to back. Um, obviously, again, nobody at this time of the year is 100% healthy. Uh, but one, you have to have full indication of what your thoughts might be with a player going into it because of gaming, sports gambling, and all that type of stuff. I have a hard time seeing Tyrese sit out just because he hates sitting out he is listed as questionable miles turner listed as questionable it's against a utah team that much like the pacers is more interested now i think in the future prospects that could come with the draft you see the pacers and they've lost 15 of 17 over the last month it has not been a good month for the pacers but brendan i will say i think it has been revealing in a good way in that for those whatever it was 10 games that tyrese was out a couple of weeks is you realize, if you didn't already, they were more than one piece away. They Tyrese, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but like Peyton, he filled and covered up so many of a team's flaws. He made them so much better. But you've what we've also seen from opponents now here, especially in the last couple of months, is opposing teams are locking in on him, saying if we take him away, we remove him from the equation, hold him to 10 points or 8 assists instead of 12, we win the ball game. And that's turned out to be true right now. He needs other players to step up. Miles Turner's been the other guy that's been consistently producing on the offensive end. I think before the last game, he had four double-doubles in a row. That is not the player most of us are used to in terms of rebounding numbers. And so he's having a career year, was obviously rewarded with that contract extension that was well-deserved, but it also worked out well for the Pacers, both what it means for them in the short term and what it could mean in the long term in the next year or two should they decide to go that route but everybody in the league I can tell you right now Brennan is trying to get to Thursday the start Mm -hmm. of the all-star break where most in the league uh, players and coaches have no responsibilities and I would guess many of them are on the first jet down to Miami Cabo Anywhere warm, without responsibilities for four or five days.
1: As they should be. So trade deadline passes. Daniel Tice is still a Pacer. For your knowledge, Scotty, was that either, one, the Pacers wanted to keep him, two, he didn't play enough to kind of try out to be traded, or three, um, something fell apart and maybe he was on the block?
2: No, there were a lot of players, I think, that some might throw out there. I know you did with TJ McConnell earlier. TJ's not getting moved. Yeah. Daniel Tice, not a good time for him and for the team to do that for those multitude of reasons. One, I think his opinions changed quite a bit from when he arrived here. He saw a team that was rebuilding entirely, uh, that you know maybe they would focus a lot on Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. Would he become the fourth big? Well, no, he's being played as the, the backup big right now. Now, he sat out over the weekend Saturday at uh, Washington, I don't blame him either, or the team. They'd call that injury management, and it's one of those where if it makes sense and make it make it work. But he, the, for him, he's able to play right now pain-free after having a, a unique knee procedure in another state, the only place that it can be done in this country, um, to kind of scrape out some things that were bothering him and leading to swelling.
1: Like the only place where it's legal?
2: The only place that they were aware of that does this specific procedure. Wow. I don't think it was. It was not anything like PRP. I think right. Yeah, maybe we say to it's like overseas. illegal
1: in in I don't know Correct. illegal in Nevada, but legal in Georgia.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing like this. I think more maybe in terms of the doctor who who does this kind of scraping, removing procedure. That's how it was described to me. Um, I don't. I don't think Daniel Tice was looked at at all to be moved right now. Uh, a team like say Boston, where he came from, would love to have him back. Obviously, but he cost ten million this year and next year as well. A little pricey for a guy that had only played a week. Um, the timing of him coming back was not specific uh, to kind of showcase him or anything like maybe some want to read into. It was 12 weeks after surgery. He was eager to see what he looked like. Clearly a little bit out of shape, but how could you not be after not playing in a game all season or since September? I, I think the real candidate that other teams were most interested in from what I had heard was Chris Torte. Mm. They saw a guy that didn't quite have a defined role. Was not starting. Came off the bench. Uh, had most recently at one time had a did not play. Coach's decision. And much like the Pacers talk about, other teams were looking at and say, "All right, how can we insert him into our system? Utilize him more and better." Um, but you just did not see a lot of those trades where a first round pick, um, you know, brought back a guy like Boyan Vukđanović or like Chris Duarte. or anything like that. I think the Pacers looked into trying to get somebody in the front court on the wing. But the the prices right now are just inflated, much like our money. And it just didn't make sense, and I don't blame them. You try to get to the offseason, and you try to stockpile a little bit more there after you have a little bit
3: more assets to your name. Now, Eddie, is, you it, got? now is it inflated because there are teams in the West looking for a way to help slow down Kevin Durant? Or is it more inflated on the east side of this because the east is wide open outside of Boston and uh, Milwaukee?
2: Yeah, so for one, one of the big surprises too, Eddie, was you look at the Brooklyn Nets roster after the trade with Phoenix. It's all wings. That's all they got. They got a stockpile of them. I think many were surprised that they didn't reroute a couple of them much like they did move on uh, from Jay Crowder, but that was widely assumed. He doesn't exactly fit their timeline. Uh, I think, one, the inflated prices has become the norm. I don't know why, but it just has, especially with those second-round picks. But secondly, there were so many teams out there trying to get that that I think teams probably ultimately decided, let's wait till the offseason when teams have a better feel, a better understanding of their cap situation of their draft picks because there are a lot of suitors out there just think for like an OG Ananobi obviously the Pacers would have loved him so would the entire league exactly yep I mean Dallas would have Memphis would have if you're if you're in the west and you got to go against LeBron against Kawhi against PG against Kyrie that's a a, that type of player is exactly what you're needed and so moving forward to bring it to the Pacers is that's an area they've got to fill. They've not had a true four on their roster since that young, really. They have not had a good defensive-minded wing since, I think, 2016, 2017 with Paul George. That's been a real missing link for them right now. That, I mean, you look at the Washington Wizards, Bradley Beal, who's not 100% not playing great in general right now. I think that's maybe one of the reasons he didn't have a ton of trade value. He drops 32 on them. A safe bet seemingly has become with this Pacers team the last couple of years is whoever the best wing is on the opposing player will go off. Kyle Kuzma did not play, or else it would have been him.
3: Still had uh, Buddy Heald defending Kristaps uh, Porzingis, which brings me to my next question here. <laughs> what do you do with Lori Marketing tonight? How do you defend him?
2: <laughs> here we go again, right? It, right? There's always somebody in the league. And for marketing, I mean, he's easily had an all-star year and deserve uh, some of that start. I think you probably throw Neesmith on him. Aaron Neesmith and Nembhard have been their two top defenders. Nees- you maybe you give Miles Turner a chance, but there's no obvious selection is the point here. Yeah. And that's what they have to address going forward.
1: That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison is here. DriveHubler.com studio. Rob Blackman is going to join us. He's the voice of the Boilers. Purdue falls to Northwestern on the road. Seems like now, anytime Purdue's going to lose, they're going to be victims of a court storming, but that is the life when you are the number one team in the land in a conference like the Big Ten where you beat up on each other so, so often. We'll get back to some Super Bowl chat next. Your phone calls, if you'd like, at 317-239-1070. Scott Agnes, Brendan King, Eddie Garrison, we're back next.
4: Welcome back. This is... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: the Midday Show with Brendan King. I'm Scott Agnes, Eddie Garrison, our producer here today. Brendan, did you see the Orlando Magics tweet? Having a little fun... I did not. ...with the... I think it was an F1 race down in Miami when one reporter thought it was Patrick Mahomes. Oh, It was Spalo Boncaro. Uh, and so the magic tweet, congrats, Patrick, with the photo of the interview. That was great. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. you love to see that. Chiefs get the win last night. I think we all were very meh about the commercials. Nothing really striking a chord or leaving a lasting impression with us. But... How much of that anymore, I wonder, is just we don't watch commercials anymore. So we're not paying attention. We're not clued in to what's going on, nor do we care to generally watch them, except for on this night. But that's the Chiefs, to go back to the Super Bowl, Brendan, what a second-half performance that they were able to have. They needed all three phases. They got the stops defensively, I think held the Eagles to 11 second-half points. They also... Got that big special teams return by Tony. And then we all saw what Patrick Mahomes in that offense did in leading a comeback that many did not think he had it in him after going down with that injury and really hobbling off the field.
1: That Those highlights will stand the test of time. I mean, when it's all said and done for Patrick Mahomes, don't know how many Super Bowls he'll have, don't know how many accolades he'll have, but you can bet that him hobbling off the field at halftime and then going to win a Super Bowl in comeback fashion – that's going to be on the all-time highlight tape for sure, and it, we discussed it to open the show, Scott, that you know the penalty that was taken late, you, you just can't put yourself in that position if you're Philadelphia. James Bradbury, he made the infraction, questionable call, probably, was the ball catchable even if he didn't make the penalty? Eh, maybe not, but you can't put yourself in that position if you're Philadelphia, and as a group, you were saying, or the media was saying for the prior two weeks, that your defense is going to be the X factor in the game. And late, it was your defense that took the penalty and that allowed Mahomes to march down the field. Uh, Mahomes, think about the four or five plays before the penalty was taken. Stop them there. You yep. put yourself in that spot for
2: Mahomes inside the 30 to go hurt you. That's what happened. He used his legs. He used that ankle and got 26 that 26-yard 26 yep. pickup. The fact that he was able to get past 10 yards showed that he had a little bit more than I think any of us thought. And also, maybe the Eagles weren't clued in and weren't <laughs> expecting that like the rest of us weren't either. Um, it was just, I love the spectacular downfield plays that we saw from Hertz to Devontae Smith a couple of times. You knew he was probably going to shake loose for at least one of them. And that's how they started the game and then had another one there in that fourth quarter. But. I, I'm not one that gets caught up on that last officiating call. It would have been... We, of course, would have loved to see a shootout down the stretch for Philly to get that one last opportunity. But the refs called it. The player admitted fault. We saw it visually. That's all I needed to see. It's unfortunate, certainly. But I try to move past that. We also... the They got to figure out what a catch is.
1: No clue. They no got to define it. Because there were... Three of those in the game, I think. Right, that probably could have gone either way. Couple of reviews as well, by the Couple way. Couple long reviews, and those reviews they took a long time, a long, long time. That they, they got to figure that out. But the problem is, Scott, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I, I don't know how you truly define because we continue to see this where there are plays that nobody and their brother has ever seen before. And nobody knows what to do because the call on the field is probably going to determine what the call is. If it's a call to catch on the field and you don't have enough to reverse it, that's what it's going to end up being. So I, I don't know how they do it, but
2: <laughs> I don't think anybody still knows what a catch is. That's why it's so important, I think, for the officiating to let that play, play out most of the time. Like we saw with the second scoop and score, right? If they blow it dead... They don't have that chance to review it, so they let it play out. I felt bad for that defense. It's probably the right call, although we did see the receiver catch it, have one and a half – you know, it's one of those I think that was not a catch, right? (laughs) Yeah, but but that's not good enough. I don't think any of us in true confidence can say because then, you know, the next time down you saw the Philadelphia Eagles player on the sideline. I did not think that was a catch, and it was ruled a catch. And that was after I think to your point a, a very long review. My general philosophy when it comes down to this, Brendan, is: what do you see in a couple of seconds? What's the fan? What's common sense tell you as a fan at home watching it? If you have to slow it down and look pixel by pixel, you probably go with the call on the field. At some point, we got to re- we got to allow for some human error for for what we know at taking the common sense approach to all this because we don't want to sit there and have 10 reviews each game to make sure we get right. This is one area where I admit I've changed over the last decade. I was all for it because I thought I stressed how important it was to get every single call. Right. But then you don't realize the trickle down effects, how, you know, the, the Eagles have that replay and it stops, stops things, slows things down. Well, the unintended consequence might have been that it allowed the Eagles defense, who was on the field the majority of the game, to get a rest, to maybe adjust their scheme, to to directly impact maybe their approach for the remainder of the game. That, yes, I want to have it. I, w- I would like to limit it across all sports much more. However, I think we're also going to see it maybe streamlined a little bit more. And where I'm most interested, Brendan, is next year in the NBA. I think they're going to take take on this, this Hawkeye technology. mm that we've seen work so efficiently in tennis is the one that stands out to me. I think it's in baseball as well. But that should clean it up. Teams and, have it, yeah. And speed it up so that we can just go right to it, and it's clear as day or it's not, and you keep it moving.
1: My problem and you know, to the sport I work in most is in baseball is people are begging for more review and for to have every ball and strike be reviewable. Well, isn't their goal to shorten games and keep games quicker if you want to have every ball and strike reviewable you know how long that's going to add to the complexion of a ball game like you're the one that they're the league that's trying to get it under three hours brother that's going to go three and a half if every manager can review every ball and strike yeah it's bad enough we want baseball can we get down to two and a half that's what i'm saying (laughs) well we um so the so the pitch clock is coming to major league baseball this year um we've had we had that last year in the minors and no no Lion Scott we played we played 6 games under 2 hours.
2: Oh that's beautiful.
1: We played 6 games under 2 hours. So and I really didn't see a difference really where the pitch clock
2: truly impacted things. And from so. afar you hear talks about like do you want robo umps and things yeah. like that. I'm like that's where I jump on. off the bridge. That's yep, where that's where it's done. Then yeah. then you remove not it's not the integrity of the game but the the how it was built Human right? error is a part of the game. For certain. That It is
1: one of the few sports where human error is truly a part of it. And that's how it should be. But yeah, I mean, where when it comes to the NFL, I mean, will will people want everything to be reviewable? There are those people out there. I don't know. I, I, I like a little bit of that type of drama, Scott. I don't know about you. Like, the referees, it should be up to their discretion to make the call. And are you going to get... Things like last night where a ref's call probably decided the game in the end, sure, but again, if you're Philadelphia, you can't put yourself in that spot where you allow a quarterback on one leg to march down the field, as
2: you said, for 26 yards. That's what killed you. There's the point right there. Don't let it get to that level. Yeah. Don't let it march. the team march down the field to put yourselves in that position. And I, I'll admit, I don't mind that risk by that player either because if you don't hold on to him, he's probably let loose for a touchdown and it's ball game anyway. Yeah, and it's I think not that like was he's a, denying
1: it. He he admitted correct. that it was a penalty. The guy that committed it said, "Yeah, it's a penalty."
2: Yeah. Case closed. We all Done. saw it and he acknowledged it. So what more do you need? I think that was a matter of him saying, "Let me take the risk, the 30% chance here that they won't call it, that I'll get I'll let it sneak by and we'll be good." There's still no guarantee that the Eagles would have marched down the field and scored themselves in, what, 95 seconds. Now we all would have liked to see it for certain. The other thing, though, Brennan, to kind of wrap up maybe this conversation on officiating, is how it then impacts the officials and the confidence in their calls. I think because of the ability to review things, they second-guess themselves, or they don't maybe call it how they should or feel because then they know it can be reviewed, and it opens that up. I will say on the NBA side, if we do have a challenge (laughs) now, you know, I'm talking on the other side here, but if the coach successfully challenges it, why should they lose their challenge? I guess it opens up the idea of strategy, right? Yeah. Because then you have to be specific (laughs) about when you do it. Like outside of a star player, Kevin Durant picking up his third foul in the first half. I see no reason for a head coach to use his time his review his challenge in the first half it does not mean that much but if you get to the third or fourth quarter and you're talking about a foul or a goaltending or a four-point play even if you win you're out you lose it that's where that's where it's difficult but again there's that fine line of too much too little and nobody i think has has found the right balance except for tennis they have figured it out completely where you do it you go to the monitor it's clear as day and you move on to the next point
1: but it doesn't mean that people in tennis still don't cry about it because <laughs> seeing people smash their rackets honestly is
2: pretty funny it but. gets it's get worse in soccer where the complaining oh, the,
3: the VAR yeah
2: is that what's called VAR mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's unbelievable people lose their minds and i saw i think it was a an offsides over the weekend, maybe I wasn't watching it live. I just saw it on Twitter where the replay got it wrong anyway because it didn't trigger a player back on side in time. Anyways, there's no perfect system out there. And I think that's what mm-hmm. everybody has to understand.
1: Hey, Random, I think I got an answer for you But we were talking during the break about halftime shows we would like to see. I, I don't know if the young, like high school and college generation would appreciate this, but maybe our generation would. Give me like a nineties boy band halftime show. In, bring back Backstreet Boys in yeah. sync. <laughs> I'd be. I, all I for think that. that'd be fun because you could get Justin Timberlake back in it. You were mentioning like Justin Timberlake. He doesn't have any hits right now, but if I mean he came out with like in sync stuff, people lose their mind.
2: Is that's playing into that nostalgic factor? Yeah, the nostalgia that seems to be working by companies, by commercials, all those brands. It you taps into that for a halftime show. I don't have that one go to. I think that stands out. Like, there's no obvious selection. I, I recognize. Actually, you know what? I do. I think Taylor Swift. <laughs> <Hit> me. <laughs> give me some T Swift. Wow, okay. Uh, that she would she, need and, and I'm also speaking a, here a truck full of money to do that though. I'm also speaking here too because how her audience is massive and I Huge. think it would please the most people and for the NFL, how many more viewers might you get of those that may not be watching the NFL game Every woman, as a whole? every woman aged 21 to 45
1: <laughs> would would be watching. In the United States, I think at that time,
2: it's incredible her following, and she, it's insane, and to the point of having new music. I think during the pandemic, she had two albums new, plus another one here recently. I think that one would absolutely be a monster hit, but I'm guessing she won't do it because they can't pay her enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying you have to back up <laughs> a brakes truck for that because clearly NFL does not pay these acts, if you weren't aware, and right, but they have to make something from from like residuals, no. Where they, where these artists make the money is the next day, essentially, meaning how many people are listening to their, I bet if you went to Apple music to Spotify right now, Rihanna has the number one song might have the number one album. If you go to YouTube, I guarantee one of her music videos is a top 10 viewed item on YouTube right now. That's where they're making money. It's from all the replays from people, not only watching that live performance, but also, Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't listened to her music in a decade or four years or whatever it is. Or maybe she, you know, is introduced to a whole new audience, obviously, and people tune into her. So you're making money on the per play. Um, And and on top of that, I think in this specific instance, Apple is paying her with an Apple TV documentary.
3: Okay. That's something.
2: Eddie, you got
1: a wish for halftime show?
3: I was just trying to think of that when you asked Scott that question. I can't think of anybody now.
1: Yeah, I, I, Taylor Swift would light the world on fire with that because she would play all of her old stuff, and that would benefit like the thirty <laughs> plus generation. And then like she would play her new stuff, and that would get the college people going. And like the thing about it is like every girl loves her, but I have friends that are obsessed with her.
2: For th- sure, that are dudes. So maybe this, maybe this could be the way that she gives back to all those fans who could not buy a ticket because uh, of ticket. Yeah, math. what actually happened with that? That I, was awful so whose fault was that was that
1: Ticketmaster's
2: fault presumably yeah because their infrastructure could not accommodate nearly that's anybody. crazy it was that was so bad the other thing if you're talking about personal preference this is probably better suited towards hank fm but i would be <laughs> it's true i would be all for like the star-studded country lineup that you could Ooh. go down on the line give me luke bryan give me thomas rett give me chris stapleton was great oh yeah Before the game, that was a
1: well, I mean, it made Nick Sirianni
2: cry for sure. For goodness sake, and by the way, you talk we in the open for those who did not catch this, we were talking about you know Tom Rinaldi getting the bigger assignment, being over at Fox. That's another reason uh, I loved having him on that broadcast because before the national anthem, his his pregame report included telling how Nick Sirianni, the coach of the Eagles, went back and before every game listens to Whitney Houston's performance to try to put him in that moment. I thought the timing of that was beautifully and helped explain maybe why he was so emotional and to not be so concerned with it because he wants to get to that point it made it sound like.
1: Well, if you're a longtime Tom Rinaldi fan, you're used to like, <laughs> you are. tears dropping on a Saturday morning while you're watching college game day. You're like, why am I crying right now? And Lee Corso is about to put on a mascot head. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah they're talking about the backup tight end yeah. and his family yeah. who I had never heard of until right. this day. And now I'm an Iowa football fan or whatever it is. Yeah, He's, he has an incredible way of striking the right chord co- and hitting the right tones no matter what his subject matter.
1: Yeah, job well done by the broadcast crew last night. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison is here. Coming up 2.30, Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers, will talk some Purdue basketball. Number 1 team in the land losing on the road to Northwestern. Now IU gets the Wildcats. That comes your way on Wednesday. Again, Pacers and the Jazz. Tonight from GameBridge Fieldhouse, that's a 7 o'clock tip. I'm sure you're just going to walk over there (laughs) shortly after you wrap up here. Uh, Is this the game that the Pacers truly get back on track, Scotty?
2: I don't know. Especially with Tyrese and with Miles both being questionable going into this game. If you're trying to work in a couple of new players, they're at home where they've been much more favorable. They've lost 13 straight on the road. So if you had to pick one, you'd certainly prefer to pick one here at home because it's going to be very difficult coming up to wrap up the season, Brendan. Where you look at their, their schedule, and I'm sure Eddie's well aware of this, is so many road games. Once you come back in late February, uh, that's like 70% of their games is on the road. So you want to – here's the thing. Now it's you go back to the preseason mindset. It's not about the individual win or loss. It's how they played. And they have not looked good. They have not defended well and have, have not shown up in a good way the last several games. I want to see progress in that department. Win or losses – does not much matter. That's not what this season is about because they're not a contending team. So can they bounce back from that awful Washington performance where they gave up an atrocious first half? And throughout the game, the Wizards shot 67%? That was wild. I've never
1: seen that in a game. I heard Denary say every player that touched the floor for the Wizards in the first half shot 60%. Was that accurate?
3: It was so bad. Oh, yeah. That was so So concerning. They shot seventy three percent in the first half.
1: Because I, when I heard Chris say that, I was like, "Oh my god!" I was getting ready for Indiana Sports Talk. Like, how do you tell Lovell that? That's that's terrible defense. I didn't want to tell Lovell that. I was like, "Hey, you do not want to hear about this Pacers defense right now."
2: No, that was a game. If you were doing something Saturday night, not watching the game, you were better off because defensively was it was troubling. It was they were getting into their sets. They were not, you know. Rick Carlisle talks all the time about hitting first, about playing with force. What's your disposition, Eddie? Anyway, we didn't see any of that, and it nope. was it was very concerning. Um, the the part I do relax a little bit in understanding of it is these are truly the dog days of the season. Like I've alluded to, is these guys can't wait, myself included, getting to the All Star break, having a time to wind down. They faced all of them, a lot of pressure this last week not knowing the certainty of their future. I mean, Kevin Pritchard said a couple weeks ago that two players had already approached him wondering, are they on the trade block? Are they going to be moved? And so it's hard to really be yourself completely when you have that in the back of your mind. And then maybe your girlfriend or your wife or your kids asking you about that. And you don't know what's next. And on top of that, the rotation continues to change. Like Jalen Smith going home to Washington, I thought he'd be featured more. He was not. And Mm -hmm. didn't have the opportunity to show out in front of his home crowd.
3: And to your point about the road trip, that's upcoming. So they have the home game tonight against Utah. Then on Wednesday against Chicago, they're home. To come back from the L-Star break, they have a game against Boston. They have four home games between that Thursday, February 23rd, and Monday, March 27th. You say four? Four. You've got Boston, and that's... Obviously, next Thursday, then you have back-to-back home games at the start of March with Philly and Houston, and then later in March with Philly again. So, it is a uh, long, long...
2: By my quick calculations, 11 of 14 on the road during that stretch.
3: Yeah, and they close out the season with five home games and two road games.
1: That's tough, because I'm trying to go see as many games as possible before I I get out of here and we we get... We get ready for baseball what season that? in April. Okay. I report, uh, so I'll be at spring training actually for a week in AZ. So looking forward to that. We, we're going to get our championship rings from the South Bend team this past fall, and then going to be able to hopefully do some innings too. It should should be fun. But yeah, season starts in South Bend on April the eighth. Start on the road. So okay. yeah, looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, this is where, though, the this Pacers teams had been at a crossroads. And I think now, after not making any kind of significant move, now again, you reset, you go back to the preseason, where you want to see, or at least I do, over these final 22-some games, I want to see more Isaiah Jackson. I want to see more Jalen Smith. I want to see where Jordan Mora fits into this calculation, if he does, and in what role. Those are the things we need to learn. We know what Tyrese, we know what Buddy, we know what Miles is about. Now it's about understanding more of this roster and discovering if they're part of it moving forward. Or if not, you know the roster's going to be tinkered with in the offseason. Well, here's
1: what I want to ask you. So Buddy Heald, there were all the trade rumors before the Miles extension. Buddy's got the extra year on his steel, right? So yep. Buddy Heald here to stay certainly the long it, run?
2: I, I hope so. It wouldn't surprise me at all for a multitude of factors. For one, this team has regressed a little bit in their three-point shooting. And they need more three-point shooting out there. Rick loves having shooters. That's what Jordan Noura is, by the way. That's where you're going to see him really impact, is he can provide a boost of scoring in a quick measure. Defense, to be determined, I want to see a lot of that. Uh, I think it's interesting, too. Maybe it's just me. But bringing in him, Jordan Noura from Milwaukee, the Pacers, who did not have a first-round pick in 2020, now have three lottery picks and another pick from that 2020 class. Now, it was the COVID year. They didn't do the pre-draft workout, so they really didn't get to know each other um, very well. But it was another indication of the team going younger, going more towards developing talent and figuring that out. Now, in terms of Buddy, I wouldn't be opposed to having him finish out this contract and even potentially re-signing. Now, it depends on what everything else looks like, right, with Duarte, with Matherin, maybe another piece or two. You have added. But he meshes so well with Tyrese. And here's the one X factor in all this, Brendan. He is always available. Always. Plays every game. The biggest concern for this Pacers roster the last five years probably has been injuries. It's derailed everything. You had Victor's injury, Jeremy Lamb's season injury. Miles Turner has not finished the last two seasons due to injury. And I can go on down the list. That's quite frankly why they traded Malcolm Brogdon. He became too unreliable whether he was going to play or not each game. Buddy Healed, you never have that question. The only thing you wonder about is, you know, before games, is this his second or third time to the gym today? Sure. Because that dude truly loves the game and loves being out there.
1: Well, if your plan, if your plan is to compete in 2024, so you're going to have to extend them past next year, right? So if your plan is to start really competing in the fall of 2024 into the spring of 2025, yes, you would have to extend them. But... As you just said, Ricks going to be the coach. You're going to need shooters. If you truly want to be a player in the East, you're going to need guys that can shoot along the perimeter. And you arguably, right, Scott, have one of the better three-point shooters of the last decade
2: in the NBA. 100%. I mean, with Steph Curry missing some time here this season with injuries, Buddy Heald has the most three-pointers of anyone in the league because he's always out there. He sells himself. So good. He sells himself. So why not? If you're I, Kevin, if the money
1: works, and you just said Herb Simon's cool spending, why not?
2: Yeah, that. that yeah, the Pacers by taking on that trade essentially spent again 10, 11 million dollars that they did not need to. Uh, I think the real question in all this, Brendan, for one, becomes what is Buddy comfortable with in terms of role when you're talking a year or two down the road? Sure. Is he accepting of that 6 man role? Because that's where I think he would truly excel um, off the bench. Because we all, I think, will agree after this season, you got to put your second-best player in Benedict Matherin in the starting lineup. I'm totally fine with it this year. I'm all for that, for him to understand things, to kind of be the focus of that second group. But next year, I, I think he needs to be the starter. And then there, a lot of question marks remain about Chris Duarte and where he fits in amongst this guard-heavy roster right now moving forward. And so a lot of that will clear itself up. The number 1 decision this offseason, uh, I think, will be – Re signing Tyrese Halliburton. He'll yeah. become extension eligible. I'm sure it'll be for the max. Presumably, he'll accept that, and that'll be done. Then you have assurances of him being here for, say, the next five years. Scott Agnes hanging out with us
1: today. He'll also be here on Wednesday. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison is here from the DriveHubler.com studio. When we come back, we're going to get to some Purdue Boilermakers basketball. number 1 team in the land falling in a court-storming fashion to Northwestern. By the way, Indiana, they get Northwestern now on Wednesday. But we'll talk some Boiler hoops with the voice of the Boilers. That's Rob Blackman after this quick timeout, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
4: Asking you whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Shall receive, Scott Agnes. That's how it happens
2: here with Eddie. Eddie I appreciate it. Giving us a little T Swift coming back from the break. See, my thing is, anyone that does not know her work, 45 and older, let's say, is going to like the vibes. They're going to like the catchiness of the songs. And so when you're trying to find a Super Bowl act, Brendan, you're trying to find an act that can be as universally loved and entertaining, by the way.
1: Universally loved and entertaining for sure is our next guest, Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. He's with us on the hotline brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and TheMowerShop.com. Mr. Blackman, first question, what would be your dream Super Bowl halftime show?
0: Uh, we just had it last night, man. Actually? I love Rihanna, yes. My wife will tell you that my secret crush is Rihanna. Now, look, I'm, I'm 52 years old, so to say that she's out of my league is putting it mildly. Uh, she would never give me a second. Look, not only because I'm 52, but I'm not very good looking either. But, yes, um, she is, uh, I don't know, I can't tell you why that is, but I would say, 15, 17, 18 years ago, I developed this huge crush on Rihanna. And so um, I was quite pleased, let me just put it that way, with last night's halftime performance. If she performed every single Super Bowl uh, from here until the day I die, that would be fine with me.
1: Well, you were one of the OG fans then. That's that's going 18 years That's going way back, man.
0: Uh, yeah. I uh, Again, I don't have a good reason for it. Uh, <laughs> I guess I must have heard one of her songs, thought it was good. And then I was like, hey, she's pretty hot, way out of my league, but so what? Uh, and, yeah, so that – that no, I was uh, – I couldn't have been more pleased. I, I didn't – I could really care less about what happened on the field last night. I was all about the <laughs> halftime field.
2: I was going to say the big thing is just you like what you like and embrace it. And it's one of those things, too, where you – I appreciate, last thing on the the act here, is just the all that goes into it, the hours and time spent – That those performers do. And to to get Rihanna, who we have not seen in a live performance in years, I think we were all enjoying it. And especially as song after song, you're like, it kept bringing me, Rob, back to different memories of, you know, years and years ago of when those songs were hot.
0: I've always said to my wife, "There's only two women I would leave you for: Rihanna and Ciara <laughs> Knightley." And as she's often, well, she says, "Well, then I'm pretty safe because I can promise <laughs> you those two aren't coming after you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, Rob Lachman, is with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fisher's, and the Mowershop.com. Rob, going to the Boilers losing in their most recent game to Northwestern over the weekend, sixty-four fifty-eight. To you, what was the biggest difference in that one?
0: Well, the turnovers, unfortunately, are becoming a bit of a uh, a bit of a sore subject here with Purdue basketball fans, and I, I certainly can empathize. I mean, 13 second-half turnovers yesterday, in uh, the fact that Purdue did not shoot the ball well at all, missed their last 13 three-point attempts in that game. After really starting off really well, five of nine, I think, to start the game uh, from three, it really felt like it was going to be a good day for Purdue shooting, and then just... Uh, for whatever reason that shooting just went away and went away quickly. But really it's more about the turnovers. And and we have a coach's show tonight with Coach Painter, and I'm almost certain he's gonna I'm gonna bring this topic up with him and he's gonna talk about it being a concentration issue. Uh, because I just know the way that he thinks. Um, it, it's not it's not a physical issue. Purdue certainly has the talented players to handle the full court pressure because they've shown it this season. Um, against some teams that are really good at full court pressing, like Marquette and Florida State, um, so it's not a, it's not a physical issue. It's really more of a mental issue and just concentrating and being strong with the ball. And I know that's what really disappointed Coach the most with yesterday's performance as far as the turnovers go. And and Matt talked about it too. You know, post game in a in a, in a post game press conference. You know, the game was very physical from an officiating standpoint. They they let a lot of things go yesterday, but but so what. As Coach Painter said, I mean you're on the road in the Big Ten. What do you expect? Uh, you have to make the necessary adjustments uh, from your end um, to, to do a better job taking care of the ball if that's how the game is going to be officiated. And Purdue did not do a good job of that. So a couple of the tough lessons learned yesterday, certainly, and and that's what happens when you when you you know you don't bring your A game, you don't concentrate at the level you should, uh, you end up losing a game like that at Northwestern.
2: Joined here on the phone line with Rob Blackman, the play-by-play voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. I'm curious, Rob, as you've gone throughout this season and traveled alongside the team, obviously every road game is the opposing team's biggest game, arguably, each season. How how have you felt that Purdue has handled that? I mean, if they lose, obviously there's going to be the court storming and all of that. I think on one side that's a, a huge compliment. On the other, is that an additional pressure that they're perhaps feeling over the last couple of weeks?
0: Well, it's a great question because uh, this Purdue team, uh, young team that it is, uh, is learning some hard lessons in that area too. Um, I, I, a lot of folks, I bring this up and, and some folks say, well, that's just an excuse. Uh, I'm just giving you the facts. Purdue's the fifth youngest team in, in the Power Five conferences. Uh, this is not a veteran ball club. This is not a team that has been around the block a few times. This is a very young team. Um, But with that said, you know, of all the lessons they're learning here, and some of them have been some hard lessons, is just exactly what you're alluding to. Um, With this being Super Bowl weekend, uh, we'll we'll use this reference. Every single game that Purdue plays is the other team's Super Bowl. That's just how it is. When you're ranked number one in the country, I know they're number three right now. When you're number one in the country, you're getting every team's best shot. You're never going to walk into someone else's arena and get a subpar game from them. It's not going to happen. You're number one in the country. And it's going to be the same thing this Thursday at Maryland. Purdue's number three. They're going to get the Maryland's absolute best shot. They're not going to have an off night against you because you're the team that's on the pedestal. To me, guys, it gives me, and I've thought about this actually for the last, I don't know, two weeks probably. I really thought about it in depth. It really gives me a great appreciation for what, like, say, Mike Krzyzewski was able to do at Duke. Because you think about all those years of that success and every single night they were taking every team's best shot and somehow winning a ton of games, um, surviving those best shots. Now, they didn't survive all of them, but just think, they're they're getting that every single night. And I suppose when it becomes the culture of your program, you learn how to deal with it. Purdue is learning, uh, but they're learning slowly because this is a young ball club that's never been in this position before. But that's another hard lesson that Purdue has to learn and hopefully learn sooner rather than later is when you're in the position you're in right now, um, number one, number two, number three, whatever it might be in a country, you have to be prepared to take everyone's best shot. Purdue got Northwestern's best shot yesterday, and they will get Maryland's best shot on Thursday night. I can guarantee you that.
1: Yeah, Robin, with five games left in the regular season, that's a little crazy to say, but getting those lessons taught to especially the freshman guards right now, how much can that benefit them that they can reflect on that maybe come tournament time?
0: Yeah. And I think on, uh, as far as lessons learned from a physical standpoint, that 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 is the lesson is the physicality uh, of what it's going to be like here down the stretch. Um, look, you guys, you know this as well as anyone. You guys follow basketball. Big Ten basketball in February might as well be the WWE. It's been <laughs> like that for years. Yeah. It just has. And there's no sense complaining about it. That's why I liked what Coach Painter had to say. No sense complaining about it. This is, I mean, good God, it's been like this for years. Fans can like it, they can dislike it. It is what it is. Um, so you need to make the adjustments from your end and understand that that's how the game's going to be called here in the month of February because it's, 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 Uh, It's the dog days of college basketball in February and especially in the Big Ten when everyone's trying to grind it out. Everyone's trying like hell to get to the NCAA tournament. I mean, you don't think that game was important to Northwestern yesterday? They just solidified their their spot in the NCAA tournament. I don't see how they don't make it now. Um, And it'll be like that for Maryland Thursday. And and then you have Indiana and, and Ohio State still on the schedule. Ohio State literally fighting for their basketball lives right now. Uh, and then you still have Wisconsin, uh, who's in the same position, in Illinois. So, um, again, I can't emphasize it enough. This is nothing new. This is Big Ten basketball in February, especially on the road. So you either make the necessary adjustments or, or you're going to you know, end up really stumbling here down the stretch.
2: We're talking with Rob Blackman here, I'm curious in terms of Zach Eady and how he has handled that. Have you got a sense for that? Because he's been a durable player. He's obviously the central focus every single night for opposing teams but like I always said with Shaq it's same is true probably for LeBron James is just in general officials don't know how to properly officiate these bigs and and evaluate you know what's a shove for him versus a a guard out there has that bothered Zach Eady a ton throughout the season or or also what growth have you seen from him in that department Rob
0: I haven't noticed it a lot until yesterday Uh, so your question is very timely I, I did sense the frustration in the post-game press conference yesterday. Now, I don't sit in on those press, press conferences because I have my own things to do, but I, I did watch it back uh, on my phone on the bus ride home. Um, and and I, for the first time really all year, I could sense some, some really frustration uh, from Zach uh, about the way he's being officiated. Um, so to this point, I to answer your question bluntly, up until yesterday, I think he's handled it really well. Um, but yesterday was the first time I really noticed the frustration. And, look, I, I get it. Um, uh, it is hard to officiate a guy that size. Uh, you know, I, I, try to, I try to show some sympathy for the officials because I know it has to be difficult. But it also has to be difficult for him knowing that he's getting fouled pretty much every time he has the ball in the basket. Uh, and if I'm an opponent, I don't know that I'm really, uh, you know, I don't know that I would try a, a different philosophy. I think that probably is the strategy. Foul the heck out of them. Uh, Hope the officials don't call it and and try to move on to the other end and and play offense at the other end. But, yes, uh, that's a long-winded answer for your question. But, uh, really, yesterday is the first time I noticed some real visible frustration from him about how the game was officiated.
1: Rob, how much of an X, X factor can Mason Gillis be, especially when he's hitting the three ball?
0: Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> look at his uh, twenty-nine point performance against Penn State. Um, that, that's uh, that's a difference maker. You get twenty-nine points off the bench from one player, uh, you're probably in pretty good shape. Really good three-point shooter. Always has been in his career. Um, I think what most people forget, he missed a just he missed three games early in the year. He had a back had a back problem, and he never really kind of got himself back right, if you will, if that's even the right phrase. Um, from that back injury till about, it really feels like maybe a month ago, he really started to round back into shape. And his shots started coming back around, and now you can see that, that he's paying dividends of the way he can shoot the ball. But, you know, he brings so many intangibles to the game, this, despite his shooting, because he plays so hard. Uh, and he can guard, you know, two, three different positions. And he rebounds, and he's, he's always the first guy to dive on the floor for a loose ball. So he's one of those intangible guys that you want on the floor for those things. But then, if all of a sudden he's making shots, uh, then you really have yourself something. So, yeah, he he's one of those X Factor guys. And look, it's going to take as you go down the stretch. It's going to take more than just five. I mean, you're going to have to have your bench play well for you if you want to have success, not only down the regular season uh, final five games, but you know when you get into postseason play. But yes, he he is certainly a guy that if he is if he is hitting open shots, uh, Purdue's a, a much different looking team on the offensive end.
2: Joined with Rob Blackman. Um, Rob, this one question I love to discuss with people who have been around, who go to every venue. From your standpoint, what are the the top venues in terms of crowd noise and environment that teams have to face? You know, obviously, Purdue coming off Northwestern this weekend, Indiana the the week before. What couple of venues are up there for you?
0: I would put uh, I would put Indiana and Michigan State right there as extremely, extremely difficult places to play uh, when the building is full, which it normally is when we play those two teams um, because the fan, not only the fan base is great, but to me, I've always felt like it's the students that really are the difference makers. Uh, those are the ones that really set the tone from an environment standpoint. And both of those buildings have great student bodies uh, as far as the student the student interaction as far as fans in the game. Um, so I've always felt like those two I'd put right at the top. And, you know, and there are others that are kind of hit and miss because it just kind of depends on whether or not they have good teams. Like Maryland, uh, if they have a good team and you're playing them on a Saturday afternoon and people can actually get to the game, you know, they have a great atmosphere. That building seats over 17,000 and it gets rocking. But if you get them on a, you know, hopefully the way Purdue gets them this week, Thursday night at 630, you know, they might have half, that, half, of the, half, the, uh, half the seats full. Just because it's such a difficult place to get to, so. But yes, to answer the question, um, I would I would start with Michigan State uh, and Indiana as being the top the top two, uh, and then Illinois, Wisconsin would probably be you know if they're not if they're not one A and B, they're probably one C and one B because they same thing they uh, they have great student interaction and again I, to me the students are the ones that set the tone and and those are some really difficult places to play.
1: Hey Rob. Last thing. This is from our fearless executive producer, the fan uh, Todd Meyer. Is there a cylinder rule when it comes to Zach Eady being defended or being
0: getting calls? <laughs> well, 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 Todd, I, I I think by definition, there's one in the rule book which we don't see a call very often, <laughs> uh, which I think is a really a frustrating. And i not, not even just for Purdue. I would say probably across the board if you guys remember two or maybe three years ago when that cylinder rule was brought into, into play, we were seeing it called all the time. And now I can off the top of my head, I can think of two, uh, maybe three times. I've seen it called this year in the games that I've been a part of. Um, even though it's still happening. I mean, those, those Northwestern guys were clearly uh, in the cylinder of Zach on their double teams yesterday. And it was never called once. Um, so I don't – yeah, Todd, it's still in the rules. I'm certain of that because I do see it called once every blue moon. But the fact that two or three years ago we saw that call all the time, it felt like. And now it's just like, well uh, – and, you know, the other thing, the flopping thing, guys. Think yeah. About, remember early in the season we were seeing that flopping technical foul? All over. Like all the time. Um, and now we don't ever see it at all. I, I, I can't think of the last time I've seen one in a game produced done. Uh, wow. uh, or played in, I should say, that I've done. So I – I don't know, man. I know the inconsistency is what baffles the coaches and the players and the fans and the broadcasters, and I don't have an answer for for why why it's inconsistent. But, yes. Yes, Todd, the the rule still does exist. It just doesn't seem to be enforced very much anymore.
1: Thank you for answering that, Rob, because Todd will now stop texting me. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate you, man. Thanks for the time. (laughs) Okay, guys, thanks. Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Bullermakers on the hotline, brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and TheMowerShop.com. I'm probably getting fired during the break. We'll be back to wrap it up next. How about this? Jeff Goodman, big news out of Notre Dame. Mike Bray is not retiring. Quote, definitely not done coaching, Bray texts Jeff Goodman. But... For those asking, Mike Bray is done at Notre Dame, but he wants to continue coaching.
2: Mike Bray heading elsewhere. In other words, we appreciate everything you have done for us over the last few decades. You're fired. Goodbye. Correct. Yeah. We're, we're ready for a fresh start. Yeah. Let's let's sense. separate on good terms, which is excellent, and we wish you well. It makes sense, but big shout-out to Mike
1: Brav' had him in the booth in South Bend before. He's thrown out a first pitch at Four Winsfield before. Nice. Saw him randomly last year at the South Bend Portillos. So Sorry. What's up, coach? <laughs> he was with his wife just eating dinner. He's a great guy. Beautiful. Terrific guy, and he is just as you imagine him. He was
2: in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. I love when and he went to the casual look. Yeah. That's, that definitely suits him. But, I mean, he's 63. Could you yeah, see I, him taking a year off, getting refreshed, being 65, doing another five years, hopefully? The problem is the year, being off, a, the year off might kill kind of the momentum to hire him. You know what I'm saying? A little bit. That's just my opinion. I but. think there's a lot of value for these lifers. Guys that barely take any time right now to be able to get refreshed. I think I think it can be really help, helpful and healthy to be able to visit some of your colleagues and see how they do things. Grab some of all those different programs and then go in with a fresh attitude
3: and start wherever you're going. Or even go to like a network. Like you go to an ESPN he'd, oh, he'd be great or on Fox TV. and for a year showcase your knowledge yep. and see how you can adapt by talking to some people and the next thing you know, boom. As Eddie White does on the <laughs> world's greatest post-game show, The Boom.
1: Plug, bada bing, bada Plug boom. it. You'll hear that tonight, by the way. Yes, yes, sir. Pacers, Jazz, 630. Pat Boylan, Mark Boyle. Is Eddie Gill on the call?
3: It's a home game, so yes. Okay. Hey, you're the producer. I'd rather <laughs> ask you. I All know. Right. I'm telling pa- you. Pat. Good to go.
1: Mark. Eddie. 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 Did I do that right?
3: Uh, You may have thrown one too many Eddies in there. There was three Eddies. Then yes. <laughs> as long as our uh, engineer scott finstermaker is there we will have three if not possibly four four Eddies. the backup engineer for the Pacers, is also named eddie
1: you gotta change your you gotta go like harry Carey and change your name i
3: uh, know
1: yeah no i think no. you gotta come with you gotta go with a pen name
3: no
2: yeah no. i think that'd
3: be good no
1: uh what's gonna happen tonight scotty well Give us a breakdown from the field house
2: well hopefully we'll see george hill jordan mora make their Pacer debuts back this season, at least. I hope Tyrese and Miles Turner both play. They're questionable going into tonight. Both the Pacers and Utah Jazz kind of trending in the same direction. Uh, both would like to finish this last week, going into the All Star break on a high note and kind of get some bounce back wins. And Pacers, of course, losers in 15 of their last 17. That that's a tough environment to be around. You need to be. You need if you're on that team, you want to feel what a win is like once more. And I think. That's what tonight needs to be about.
1: I, I was kind of disappointed that Serge Ibaka got—I knew he would get weighed, but that would have been fun just to kind of—that would have been like circa 2014 if Serge Ibaka was on
2: this team. What's incredible about Serge that I'll always remember is because Orlando traded for him from OKC. Victor went to OKC. Yes. Domas, drafted by Orlando, went to OKC. So all of those trickle-down effects ultimately lead Serge Ibaka then back to the Pacers' Where he doesn't even suit up. So then, who's the bigger pacer legend, I ask you? Ricky Rubio or Serge Ibaka?
1: I'm going to go with C. Tristan Thompson. <laughs> At least for, he for played the week. Though. I know. For the At week. At least he played. Yeah, I know. I, I thought Ibaka was going to be Tristan Thompson part two. The, the <laughs> week of Tristan Thompson might have been the most fun thing I saw from that team. Of years. Here's what I learned about that. You got 30 seconds.
2: Bud. There was a lot of people that would talk negatively about Tristan and and I'm not talking off the court maybe that stuff's deserved in that locker room he was loved with this media fantastic quote really good to interact with Pacers enjoyed their time with him so that was a brief period but an enjoyable one you're back on Wednesday yeah let's do it good again working with you brother you as well day after the Super Bowl BK Scott Agnes Eddie
1: Garrison Pacers at 6 30 tonight myself we will talk to you tomorrow with Derek Schultz we'll see you.